No, when you buy the Sega Genesis that comes with Sonic 1, you'll get Sonic 2 absolutely free. Sonic 2 handles stubborn stains, embarrassing bald spots, no problem. It even slices and dices, makes thousands of julienne fries. But wait, you can play it too. This free Sonic 2 is a $54.99 value. You get two Sonics for the price of one. Sonic 2 fits easily into any tackle box. Made from a space-age polymer plastic for years of family fun. And pets love it too. Buy the Sega Genesis that comes with Sonic 1 and get Sonic 2 free. Act now. Wiener Dog Sweater, sold separately. Welcome to Square Waves FM, uh, episode number 31. Really, 31, really... squawk. Squawk. <laughs> Live from the Chirpatorium once again. Um, so happy to be talking to you. So happy to have you uh, listening. I've got a very special guest this week. Please introduce yourself, lady. Chirp. Hey, guys. I suppose you all remember me. Chirp. <laughs> I'm Bianca. And once again, you get to the joys of listening to me insult the, the host of the show. And talking about interesting stuff. You wouldn't be the first to do either. <laughs> Yay, real good to have you back, Tuts. Always a pleasure. Um, uh, I'm like scrolling through our... Uh, I'm just going through the uh, notes that we have for this show. We have like an unprecedented wall of text in terms of the notes. I don't know. What about the Sims notes when I uh, had my way with it? Oh, yeah. Maybe it is precedented then. Yeah, those sim notes were quite mighty. <laughs> that wound up to be a six-hour conversation about our little virtual dollhouse, didn't it? <laughs> yep, and that was after I pruned. And that was after I had uh, pruned it down to a uh, to its meaty core. You know, trimming off all the fat. Mmm, meaty dollhouse core. <laughs> um, I have to start off this week's episode by giving a big fat shout out to Joe Mastrioni. Um, he and I. Hung out again uh, earlier this week. We grabbed dinner together. That was a really, really good time. We went to this uh, great little place in my neighborhood. Nice of him to uh, make the trek all the way out to my neck of the woods. Uh, we went to a place called Korean Cowboy. <laughs> Bianca and I really like this place. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a Korean restaurant with... No, it's a Korean-style pub, which means a lot of uh, dishes that can be shared with a group of people that's almost like... It pub style food, but not greasy for the most part. But it's Korean. It's like a Korean take on pub style food, and it's uh, mostly small plates, like a bunch of five dollar plates. So typically, we get like three plates or so per person, and we walk away full. And we've had an amazing variety of stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, we got to thanks to Joe for uh, being adventurous enough to let me order all the dishes. So I got like crazy stuff like squid and pear. We tried a uh, Korean fried chicken, which was so crispy and good. We had uh, mocha pork, which is like a coffee braised pork with these uh, slices of hot peppers on them. All this good stuff. But best of all, of course, was the conversation. It was really nice to mm -hmm. chat with him. He's easy to get along with. And uh, if you're not already listening to his Upper Memory Block podcast, then uh, you ought to be. Umbo. <laughs> We uh, uh, last time we met, Joe gave me uh, an upper memory block, upper memory block pin. It just says UMB on it, a circular pin. So I brought it home to my wife here. And unfortunately, I uh, wasn't really looking at it. I kind of looked at it out of the side of my eye and I said, "What's an umbo?" What's an umbo? <laughs> right. Somehow she saw the shape of this round pin as the letter O. So umbo. So that pin is now the umbo. <laughs> That's right. 
So uh, all the best to you, Joe. We got we to gotta do that again for sure. And it was especially nice uh, chatting about uh, the workflows of podcasting and trading notes on what podcasts we like to listen to. But uh, always, nice to, uh, always nice to chat with you. That was a great time. I also want to give a shout out to an old friend of mine, Andy, who just uh, reached me on Twitter for the first time uh, in a few years. I met, I met Andy, I think, in about 1998 or so. We were at like a little rave club called Destiny Fridays. At I think the club was called uh, Spin Cat downtown Toronto. Um, and he was traveling to Toronto from New Jersey and was just kind of here to sample the nightlife because he was into similar music and events uh, in New Jersey and in New York. Um, and he and I totally hit it off. I think he was the one who was the gregarious, chatty, friendly one who sat next to me and started chatting up a stranger. And uh, we totally hit it off. We're both uh, technology buffs and gamers and nerds and uh, very much into electronic music. And so, geez, 1998. So we've been friends for like 18 years now. And we probably talk to each other like every two or three years for a little bit. He's visited the city a few times and um, we hung out together and went to the mall together and stuff you like that. You went to a mall. Yeah, I know. Well, uh, <laughs> younger Brian would occasionally frequent malls just to hang out as, as young people are wont to do. They'd go to the music store or whatever. The, the malls, I don't malls know. and what music kind of stores. people you hung out with, but the people I hung out with never went to malls. Oh, see, when in, in the old days, they used to at least to sell music in stores. Oh, like, I know. I'm not, I'm not uh, a millennial. <laughs> I'm Generation, I'm Generation Y, first of the Gen, of Gen Y, oh. and you're just the ass end of Gen X. You're the leftovers of what happened when uh, Dad scraped off the remains. When Dad scraped off the remains? Oh my gosh. Oh, you're ever so complimentary. You're oh, I love, I love you one. too. Ugh. See what Kinda I put up with, folks? <laughs> We're off to a splendid start here. <laughs> so, goodness. Hi, Andy, is my point. Thank you for keeping it classy hi, and crassy. Hi. <laughs> you can't hold of yourself, you maniac. Um, I wanted to send a shout-out, as always, to uh, Trolls and Fred Olson and Gareth Millward, who, um, Gareth, you may recognize from Trolls, Space Quest Historian podcast as uh, Pete Tolman. Sorry if I just let that cat out of the bag. But the three of them have started a really interesting new podcast. I think I'm. I think next week I'll be a guest on that podcast. It's a really cool idea, sort of a game show kind of a thing called Open Crowdsource, where uh, it's kind of uh, takes the uh, format of a cooking show, where at the beginning of a half hour show they kind of use this random theme generator to uh, generate a concept. Uh, a premise for a video game, and it's up to the hosts and the guests to put together and design uh, a game based on those keywords. And as time ticks down, they kind of throw a couple more little variables into the mix, and you have to incorporate those into your design as well, which is really neat. It's a great idea. Um, the first episode had Francisco Gonzalez, and uh, it was, uh, well, I'm not going to spoil it, but you should totally watch it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Hope needs to take a piss. Okay, well, you <laughs> spoiled it, didn't you? That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. I had I had recommended the name Don't Poke Your Pants. So maybe that's a hint about <laughs> how, how highbrow the uh, podcast may have transpired. 
Not that this podcast is highbrow by any stretch. Well, not anymore, is it? <laughs> it was like Masterpiece Theater until you scooted across the carpet onto my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> You're the one who invited me in. Yeah, I know. Everyone makes mistakes. <laughs> um, I have been thinking this week... Um, uh -oh. I know. More about uh, one of the letters that Father Beast had uh, sent to us. And thank you once again, Father Beast, for sending us two uh, enjoyable and thoughtful letters last week. We appreciate that so very much. Um, in his letter, in one of his letters, he was uh, rebutting my argument that a uh, text parser is... I, wouldn't, I don't know if I ever said that it was a superior way to play the uh, an adventure game. Maybe I did. But if nothing else, it's a viable way to play a game. And he kind of contested that. Um, I was listening to the PC Gamer podcast, which has just kind of been uh, resurrected um, and sort of turned into like a live twitch.tv uh, talk show sort of a thing, but they record it and uh, publish it to MP3, so I've been listening to that in the car. And they, by the way, had a terrific uh, quiz show um, on this episode of the PC Gamer podcast. Um, the question was that you they would say a term and you had to determine whether it was a World of Warcraft spell or a type of Axe Body Spray. And it was a little scary how often it was both. <laughs> so that was kind of Do you have an example? Uh, don't put me on the spot. I can't remember. Uh, Flare was one of them. <laughs> there was one called... Oh, yeah, Flare. Road Skill. Right. Ro, it's a... Uh, I know. It's, also, it's probably also... Hunter. No. Rogue has a... Is it, is it Hunter or Rogue? But I know it's a skill that lets you see your hidden enemies. Yeah, it's a hunter skill. You shoot a flare in the air and it lands where you target on the ground and it can hide, It can reveal any hidden enemies. Or that's the Warcraft spell anyway. I don't know whether the Axe Body Spray does that too. Well, anyway. It, it makes you uh, noticeable. Yeah, it sure does. If you're wearing Axe Body Spray, then somebody blind could, could <laughs> pick you out of a crowd. Uh, so anyway, one of the things that they talked about on PC Gamer Podcast was the game Contradiction which I talked about a couple of weeks ago or so. Um, Bianca and I played that one together. You remember Contradiction, the yep. FMV mystery game? Oh, yes, with our British Fargo dude. British Fargo dude. <laughs> and it sort, of, uh, it sort of reminded me of the fact uh, that I am a really bad judge of what constitutes good acting. I will walk out of a movie or a game or something pretty uh, satisfied with the quality of acting, only to hear the people whose opinions I respect, journalists and critics and stuff, tear apart what a horrible uh, performance it was. I think uh, they mentioned the um, protagonist of Contradiction, um, Detective Jenks. They said something like uh, he has this talent for showing four or five different facial expressions at the exact same time, <laughs> and his eyebrows look like they're trying to escape from his face. <laughs> Think about it. it. Does sound about right. He's a yeah. He he's a very enthusiastic protagonist, and he does kind of kind of uh, looks green. He looks kind of looks a little green to me. Yeah, I know. He's a little too happy-go-lucky, I suppose. But I, I loved it anyway. I, I I thought it was great. I didn't really think twice of it. I thought the acting was above average. Yeah. It was a good game. So I mean, that's really what matters: is the the, uh, the person playing it like it. Even if the critics didn't like it, as long as you enjoyed the game you played, that's what matters. That's true. I would say so as well. So, um, in relation to Father Beast's uh, comments that uh, he does not enjoy text parser games, have you ever played a text parser game? Cat food! 
Oh yeah, soft food. Oh yeah, soft food. That's right. Yeah, that was a that was a text adventure game where you play a cat that is only given dry food, and no. your challenge is to get your owner to open a can of wet food for you, soft food. Yeah. And you basically have the freedom to walk everywhere, so it's not necessarily a good thing because you can wind up in the woods and get eaten by a bear, and uh, you know you get or yelled at by your owner. Yeah, he does yell at you and meow one too many times, as I figured out the hard way. I mm -hmm. meowed a bunch because I'm. Why not? You're a cat. That's what you do. You meow. Yeah, that's great that you can meow in a game. If I remember right, I think you actually score a point for meowing in that game. Of course you do. You're a cat. You if you don't score points for meowing, then what's the point? Just like, you know, cat animal damage, you get the, you get an achievement from meowing 50 times. Right. Well, anyway, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there is an achievement from meowing 50 times in cat lateral damage. Anyway, um, so yes, you have played a text parser game. So Father Beast was uh, arguing that he prefers a game where you have icons or verbs on your screen, and you click the verb, and then you click something on screen, which means, like, go to this place, or use this on that, or open the door, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to a text parser game where you don't know what your commands are, and you have to just kind of type stuff um, in order to uh, uh, figure out the programmer's vocabulary and logic. Um, so when these guys were talking about contradiction, one of their correct comments was that often you, the player, will have an idea of, like, you'll, you will have unraveled one of the mysteries, and you sort of know what the next major story beat is going to be. You know that this person did this thing in this way. Unfortunately, you have to go, you have to conquer it in a very roundabout way to go talk about five other people, and uh, walk around town idly before you're allowed to go break open this one key part of the case, even though it makes perfect sense to you. Exactly. That's precisely what I was going to say. So, yeah. Cole's notes of that, I guess, is that you have to also think about what the program... Like, in that in that game, you talk to everyone you can, and you get a list of topics, and each topic is kind of broken down into notes about what that person said specifically, a series of facts. Mm -hmm. And then you have to find two comments that contradict each other, and you press the person about it, and then they admit to lying, and then they give you one more clue that gets you a little bit further. So sometimes you already know where they're going with it, but you have to follow the correct chain of events in order to invoke the next scene. Whereas, um, so that I think is an example of a point-and-click interface kind of failing you and you still having to succumb to the programming, programmer's logic. Whereas, in contrast, the game Her Story, which okay. we've also talked about, I think, more than once mm -hmm. on the podcast, I also played that with Bianca, that game is very interesting and very unique in that the primary game mechanic, the core loop of the game, is to type keywords into a search box, and uh, that will bring up search results, and you click the search result, and it will play a video. Yeah. The words that you search for are words that are spoken by the one and only actress in the game. Sorry, actor. Apparently we're not supposed to say the word actress anymore. Actor. Um, and... Really, the whole point of the game, the whole uh, primary means of interacting with the game is by typing in words and not necessarily knowing the vocabulary. That's the challenge and that's the reward. True, but at the same time, you get uh, some very vague ideas of what to type. It doesn't... It does, exactly. It gives you like one or two words at the beginning, for example, murder, since that's the overall theme, 
I'm not spoiling this for anybody by mentioning this because it's mm -hmm. the first word you see when you start the game. Right. So it gives you an idea of what kind of vocabulary you should be using. But it only gets you so far before you have to start thinking outside the box. Exactly. And sometimes you have a good idea of what's going to be discussed, or sometimes your intuition or familiarity with this type of fiction suggests to you something that you can search for. Yeah. And sometimes you run out of ideas and you just start doing some pie-in-the-sky stuff. Like we found a bunch of new topics just by searching for the word the or and. Just something that might possibly uh, trigger a uh, video clip that we hadn't seen before and opens up a new uh, line of reasoning. Mm -hmm. So, I don't want to beat this discussion to death, but I thought that it was... It's an interesting topic, and Father Beast did a great job of uh, defending his side of the argument. I think there's arguments to be made one way or the other. I think they're both viable and potentially enjoyable means of playing an adventure or adventure-style uh, game, and I just wanted to bring that up. So I thought that her story was unique because the core loop is to search and to discover new uh, keywords and to discover new um, bits of story. Um, the text parser is kind of the ends. It's not really the means, if that, if that makes sense. Oh, I should also mention um, that I was thinking about this whole thing while I was in my car. That's when I was listening to the PC Gamer podcast. And so one thing I like to do is, on my Android phone, use the, the Google Now. Um, it's kind of like uh, Siri on uh, Apple, except that it's uh, useful. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I like to use that. Not and I'll too say, bad, except for some reason, it, it, when it first came out, it really didn't like my voice. And so I just gave up on it until oh, recently. Oh, is that it? Yeah, well, I mean, I've had my sh I've had my fair share of difficulties as well, especially when I'm in the car because the microphone on my uh, on my phone doesn't pick up my voice when uh, like against the rumbling of the road, I suppose. And so, because of that, um, I I told Google now. Um, I said, oh, I can't say I can't say the OK Google keyword too loud because otherwise my phone will start to do the search. <laughs> but I said that thing, and then I said. Tell Father, remind me when I get to work. Tell Father Beast to play her story. And when I say remind me when I get to work, it knows like I've entered in the address of my work, so it will use the GPS. And as soon as I arrive at that destination, it will pop up a little reminder and buzz in my pocket with that reminder, which is a really handy thing if you want to remind yourself when you're going to the store to buy something, for example, or when you get home to call someone. But no, I I. Uh, surround myself with these trivialities, and so I reminded myself to tell Father Beast to play some video games. So I said, tell Father Beast to play her story. And because the phone didn't hear me very well, it said, okay, do you want to say this? And it said, tell Father Beach to play her story. I'm like, oh, Father Beach. That sounds like some kind of guy, some like old man who ogles young girls in bikinis. I don't think I want to put that. So I'm like, no, tell Father Beast to play her story. And it said, okay, do you want to say... Telephone a bitch to play her story? <laughs> and I'm like, no. So I had to do it three times. <laughs> and um, it was sort of like analogous to if you can picture like a rude American tourist in a foreign country. And he speaks, he's trying to, to speak English to people who don't understand it. And he's kind of speaking louder and louder as if you speak angry, angrily and loudly enough than the foreigner. Will, <laughs> foreigner, I say foreigner, and yet the American in this in this scenario is the foreigner, but as if the local will understand English if you just speak loud enough. So that's what I felt like with Google Now. So thanks a bunch, Google Now. I, I, Google Now is actually a phenomenally good technology 
So, it's just you have a shitty Bluetooth device hanging from your sunscreen in the car, which is how many years old and handed down from your father? Oh, it's okay. The Bluetooth device is okay. I wouldn't even need it if my friggin' Nexus 5 had a decent microphone. And my, it didn't echo like a bitch. Well, yeah, my previous, my previous Android phone was the uh, Samsung Galaxy Nexus, which was probably the best phone that I ever owned. It had an amazing high-quality microphone. It was also double the price of this uh, Nexus the 5. Motorola Razr was an awesome phone. It was very sturdy and very reliable, but it wasn't a smartphone. It just didn't do the same number of features. Galaxy Nexus was a relatively slow phone, but it had a high-resolution screen. It was four inches. No, it was four and a half inches, I think, 4.2 inches, which is yeah. a pretty good size. And no, it was not quite four inches. And um, just the microphone and the build in general were very high quality, and it was very reliable. I used to... Uh, just uh, whenever I go in the car, I plug in the auxiliary uh, out. Or the, I plug the uh, headphone jack into the auxiliary in jack in my car with a uh, eighth inch uh, patch cable, mini jack patch cable, male to male. And if somebody would shut up, you. <laughs> and if um, someone would call me, then my phone would start ringing, and I'd just kind of flick my finger on my phone, and I could just talk into midair. And the, ca the microphone on the phone was good enough that I could just speak in the midair and people could hear me fine. With the Nexus 5, I assumed I could still do that, but for some reason they hear this like double echo as if uh, it's not canceling out some like repeated vocal or something. So I can't use my phone in that way, so I had to get a Bluetooth speaker instead, which the microphone is pretty good, but the it plays through this little Bluetooth speaker instead of through my stereo, so it sounds much worse for me. So... That's obnoxious. So I think that my my recent frustrations with the Android operating system, or at least with an Android phone, I think they're the fault of this cheap phone and not of the operating system itself. So I think I'm going to have to bite the bullet and buy myself an expensive phone next time just because of the way that I use it. Um, what else? Star Citizen. There was some... Um, I'm a backer of Star Citizen. I have been since the very, very first days. Um, anything that Chris Roberts makes, I will... Uh, well, it remains to be seen, but uh, for now, I will gladly pitch money towards it because I want to play anything that has his name associated. I am the biggest, biggest fan of Wing Commander. So is uh, Joe. And I hope he has a good time playing that. Um, and so when I heard that he was kind of coming uh, back out of video game retirement to fund this uh, massively multiplayer online uh, ship-to-ship uh, dogfighting and trading game, I totally had to get on board, so I pitched 60 bucks towards that. Haven't played it too much, um, at first because my computer wasn't up to, stuff, up to snuff, and now uh, I just haven't gotten into it, but I think I'm going to play it now. However, every time I try to load up Star Citizen, you know, I played previous alpha builds of it a little bit, and they're really gorgeous. I just uh, wasn't in the mood to learn a whole ton of buttons, and it does have a whole ton of buttons. But now I'm in the mood again, so I want to play it again. And it seems like every time I run the Star Citizen launcher, it tells me I have 20 or 30 or 40 or more gigabytes of patches to download without exaggeration. That's a big freaking game with a lot of patching. And it's surely because it's in alpha right now, they're doing a lot of fundamental changes that uh, necessitate major content updates and replacements and stuff. But... Um, because I'm uh, concerned about our monthly bandwidth cap, it's kind One of, cap. well, we do have a cap. We get 400 gigs a month now, which is the most that we've had for a while. Before we had 1, and then 150, and then 2, and then 3, and now it's 4. 
I thought it was always 300 with, tech, with our guys. It's uh, it's 400 now. Mm -hmm. I meant the previous to this. Oh, right. Well, I mean, we haven't always been this tech savvy. Mm -hmm. we, we switched to Rogers, and they had a ridiculously tiny uh, bandwidth cap, and that's why we ditched them that in the high price. Um, so... Uh, it's it's lame that I actually have to put a calendar entry for myself at the end of the month, reminding myself to download Star Citizen um, in in the, the last days of our uh, month so that I can download it uh, while we still have a few uh, gigabytes remaining in our monthly bandwidth cap. So that's pretty stupid. But uh, on the plus side, because we're with this Torontonian uh, or uh, Ontario internet provider called Tech Savvy, we now have 100 megabit download, which is about 12 megabytes per second. So the latest patch was 21 gigabytes, and I'm able to download that in half an hour. So that just rocks my world. I think that's amazing. Do um, you have any nerdy techie stories to share with us this week? Well, I am kickstarting another, I am kickstarting a game called um, Orion Trail. Mm-hmm. Pretty it has this great soundtrack made by, uh, what was it, Rainbow Cat or something? Uh, Rainbow Kitten is the guy's oh, yeah. name. He, amazing musician. I just uh, picked up a couple of his albums. They're also on Google Music for streaming. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so this was on Kickstarter. It's one of these pixel games. It's, it's a pixelated game. Pretty good graphics. Makes fun of the whole red shirt uh, meme from Star Trek. You know, you're a red shirt, you're uh, bound to die. And it's supposedly a take on the Oregon Trail, you know, with the uh, various ways that you can die horribly from, you know, dysentery and uh, malaria. I don't think malaria is in that game, but, you know, you get the idea. And, but in this one, you're, tra you're traveling from point A to point B in space. And on the way, you uh, spend resources to, to uh, get to the intermediary jumps, which are uh, planets, which where you can get different resources from food. Fuel, and if, and even extra red shirts because apparently there are dime a dozen in this game and they're equally disposable as fuel and food. You can use red shirts as fuel. Yes. Gross. <laughs> I know. And food, you said. Yep. That's uh, well, they're a valuable resource, I guess. They're very valuable. In fact, they're the they're equally expendable on uh, like the second last stop where you can. Uh, Participate in uh, different challenges, and you put your skill, your 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 officer skills to the test. When you first start out, like the original Oregon Trail, you pick your team of four. So you get your captain and your officers, and the combination of their skills determines the chance of success at various at various tasks. So you have diplomacy, science, attack, tactics, and bravado as your uh, core stats, and. Uh, you can either focus in one or multiple ones, which increases your chance of success at various stops along the way. So far, it's in in, in this way, it's sort of like Oregon Trail. You know, you have to uh, determine which of the professions you want to bring along to enhance your uh, overall journey's ability. But in this case, you pick uh, different stats, and these help you progress. But another, but in other ways, it's not really like Oregon Trail. For example, the stops you can't at the stops you can't trade or talk to anybody or rest or anything. You go to the stop specifically to complete an objective. Like you uh, run into like a, into a conundrum or something, a black hole, or you know someone loses their shit on your ship and you have to figure out how to control them. 
My favorite option is to hurl a chair at them. <laughs> but basically, in some... So, yeah, it is like Oregon Trail in its basic mechanics, but overall, it's not Oregon Trail in its execution. But it's definitely worth a look. It's on Steam right now. Ten, ten bucks. It's in early access. Yeah, it's only uh, one or two or three levels of the total right now, right? Yep, and they're, they're still releasing content. That seems to be another difference about the game, is that um, Oregon Trail is just like one long game from beginning to end, from uh, source to destination, whereas this one seems to kind of have an increasing number of like longer scenarios. Yeah, longer scenarios from point A to point B. There's even a tutorial, which I haven't, which they hadn't released yet when I tried the game, but they had released the first two areas. And they get longer, and uh, it means that you have to be more strategic with your resources. But the nice thing is, you don't have to same, take the same path every time. What you do is, you're starting at point A, you can see which two, you know, branching paths. And so you can see which planet you can go to next and determine, okay, I, I need fuel. I don't but I don't need as much food. I'm going to go to the planet that gives me food. Planet, star, black hole, whatever. And so you go there to get your to get the resource you need. But you can't just get the resource. You have to accomplish a certain task beforehand. And so you have three options. From one, You pick one of those options with the best chance. And this is a new chance is determined by your, the stats. And your stats are determined by the four people you pick at the start. And if you were a backer who actually had enough money to put into it, you could be named an officer or or a red shirt. So there's some replayability based on who you elect to be on your team? Yes, a, oh, so a lot of replayability. That's like, a little similar to Oregon Trail, I guess, where you can choose what your career is or was before embarking true, on the journey. True, but you're not as limited because you can be like all science and attack, but then have nothing in bravado, diplomacy, or tactics. Oh, okay. That's kind of neat. So yeah, so you can choose to spread yourself thin, or you can focus on one stat. Basically, like Dungeons & Dragons, where you can uh, choose to spread yourself then statistically, or to keep yourself uh, on a narrow uh, tree to uh, enhance the skills that you want to really focus on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the ones I played, it's really fun. They have great graphics. Even have a space weasel with like an extra eye on the head. It's so cute. Space weasel. And sometimes you come <laughs> across a tombstone. Like here lies, unfortunate red shirt number five hundred and twelve. <laughs> <laughs> And so it'll be a tomb. You can pay your respects and then move on. Oh, is there a benefit to paying your respects? Is that an option you can do? It gives you an achievement. Ah, well, that's enough. Uh, that's enough uh, motivation for you, I guess. Oh yeah, this game has achievements. So if you're like me and you love your achievements, definitely worth it. But yeah, I'm uh, just waiting for the next update before I give it another try. But the, I have played it a bit, and it's really fun. And no two games play alike, just like the uh, original Oregon Trail. Do you remember how well these guys had adhered to their schedule from Kickstarter? Oh my gosh, they had—they were really good about it. Like they were getting stuff out regularly. Like I got my—I got the music soundtrack within a few, within like three or four months of the end of the Kickstarter. More like six months, but still pretty good. And then maybe uh, two or three months, and then maybe like two months, less than two months later, I actually got the actual package that came with. Um, your, if you were Kickstarter, you paid more than a few bucks. You actually got some uh, extra games, and then you also got your the early access key. So it hasn't even been a year since I Kickstarted, and I'm already able to play an alpha. Oh, that's really nice. Or at least early access. Mm hmm. Yeah, it seems a lot more polished than an alpha. Have you run into any bugs really? 
Mm. No. I would say more beta, I should say. Yeah, Early that's impressive. Beta. That's extremely impressive. Mm -hmm. But there's not a lot of... Uh, the graphics aren't intense, so that probably helps them be able to better focus on uh, other mechanics. Sure. It helps the budget anyway, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. But it does have really charming uh, graphics, especially the Space Weasel. Yeah, really charming <laughs> graphics. That's why you bought the game, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say no to Space Weasels. It's adorable. Mm -hmm. You should link that in the, the uh, show notes, an image of that. Okay. <laughs> Space Weasel. All right, that's important stuff. Yes, it is. Well, while we're on the topic, should we do things a little out of order, and you can uh, tell everyone what else you've been playing this past little while? Yeah, well, I decided to play, go back and play a bit of The Binding of Isaac, the Rebirth, the second one. Much better than the first one, because I'm dying less, especially since I have my wonderful magical trump card of Azazel. All right, the, the playable character. Yeah, wait, flying and mini brimstone. If you if you lose with Azazel, you just suck. Well, there's always a bad luck run here or there. Why don't you tell people what's different about that character? This um, this character doesn't shoot tears. He basically barfs mini brimstone, is what I said, and he flies by default. Well, yeah, but people don't know what tears or mini brim brimstone are necessarily. Well, you probably talked about Binding of Isaac plenty. Maybe I did, but that was probably like 18 podcast hours ago. Maybe not everyone was there. Okay, so... You, your primary attack are tears. You blink, and you cry on your enemies. They're so overwhelmed by the fact that you're crying on them that they die because, <laughs> you know, your grief is so strong because mom shoved you in the basement because she's a giant cunt face. <laughs> <laughs> and I probably shouldn't say what I really think about when I play this game. <laughs> no, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, who knows what's going to come back to haunt me. Right. Anyway, so you blink these giant <laughs> crocodiles here. Well, unless you're Eve, in which case you have these little piddling girl tears. Mm -hmm. You just can't get enough, because you're not, you're not man enough to uh, really sob your heart out. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway. But then this one character that I like has wings by default, so you can fly over spikes and gaps. And Grimstone, which is basically like a lot big, it's like a huge line of barf. So you're not crying, you're barfing your way through. Yeah, you like barf bright red fire lava on people. And it's a limited range. Yep. So it's like concentrated damage in a short, uh, for a short distance, as opposed to tears, which are little bursts of damage over a long range that move a lot more slowly. Mm -hmm. It's a little easier to play with that guy. Yep. But yeah, I had a good run going with one of the main characters. Unfortunately, I got a really bad room. And I died. <laughs> That's all that happens in that game. You can have the luckiest game in the world in one unlucky room. You can end it all. Mm -hmm. And because it's a roguelike game, you only get one life, you only get one try. Unless, of course, you're lucky you get nine lives, or Duffy's Caller, or the one-up. Right. Don't contradict me, woman. <laughs> yes, there are Then power. don't make factual errors. Unless you want to co correct yourself in the next show. We do have three corrections coming up, but first, maybe people will forget my utter humiliation as you describe the stuff that you played. I've also, and, uh... Jerk. <laughs> I also went back and decided to play some Sims Medieval after having talked about it, so I was like, hey, that was fun, I'm gonna go play some. It's really easy to talk yourself and others into playing The Sims when you discuss it, isn't it? They worked yeah. on Ben Chandler, too. We <laughs> talked him into playing Sims 3. Again. Nice. Yeah, but I played it again. It was exactly as I remembered. It was fun. Except for this one mission where 
my stupid physician kept whining and not getting anything done. So she eventually got herself sent to the stocks. And I lost all my progress because she was too useless and whiny to make some potions and selves to sell to the people to cure them of the uh, bubonic plague that was sweeping through the magnificent kingdom of, uh, I don't know, what the hell do I call this crap of verse? <laughs> Fartsburg? Probably. <laughs> and so she basically screwed up and I didn't do well in that mission. But everyone else did well. I should kill that physician. Put her in, a, put her in the guillotine. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also played a couple of time management games. The uh, Twelve Labors of Hercules, which come in... I only have the second and third ones. I didn't play the first one yet. But basically, it's uh, top-down. You get some servants, they clear the way, and you have to do it in uh, record time. So, I almost have... I finished... Uh, the Twelve Labors of Hercules, the second one. I'm working on the third one now. Oh, wow. I didn't know there were so many. Yeah, there's three of them, mm. as far as I know. I used to love that kind of game, the time management games. These are the sorts of games where... My kingdom for the princess! That was a great game. <laughs> I think that was a Russian one. It's the sort of game where uh, you uh, can see the whole level in front of you, and you have one or more uh, kind of playable characters where you'll click on, like, a tree. Or an obstacle. Yeah, your, your character will run over to it and they'll consume some food in order to clear an obstacle and will bring back some wood or some stone or something like that. Um, and uh, so when you start the level on the board, you can see all the wood and stone and stuff on the board for the most part. Mm -hmm. And so you can, you can collect resources to build some buildings and some preset locations and that consumes some food and, and your resources. But then it will create more resources over time, like a farm will make food or a lumber yard will make uh, wood, something like that. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that you want to clear all the obstacles and uh, all of the uh, objectives, which will be like to defeat some monsters or to build a bridge over a river uh, before... Or to unlock a door or to uh, save or to save another servant to expand your servant resources. Right. So you got to do that before the time limit. And if you do it before, like, the special time limit, then you get, like, a one bonus point or something. Mm -hmm. So it encourages you to be as efficient as possible. And invariably, you will uh, complete a level two seconds too slowly. It, it takes you eight minutes, and you finish two, two seconds late. And even though it allows you to go on, you feel compelled to do the whole thing all over again, right? Yeah, because you could have done a little better. Yeah. Let's see. What else have I played? Of course, I also played World of Warcraft because I have an ongoing subscription, and why waste fifteen dollars a month if I'm not going to sink a few hours into it every week and uh, going on an achievement rampage? Yeah, we had a good rampage for achievements this week, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Mostly uh, just cleaning up achievements in Alduar on twenty-five man, and Alduar. no, ten man actually. Ten man. Yeah. So in uh, World of Warcraft, there are raids, as perhaps you have heard. Um, those are like 10 or 20 or 25 or 40 person challenges. Um, as you, uh, as they release new expansion packs and they raise the level cap, the old raids that might have taken 40 people to defeat, all working uh, in concert together, now you'll be able to do with two people or with one person, which is kind of rewarding in and of itself to know that you are as powerful as 40 people were not that long ago. That's a really cool thing. So, there are achievements for defeating raid bosses. However, there are additional achievements for defeating raid bosses with some kind of a flourish. By 
getting yourself down to a certain amount of health or by pressing a great big red button on the wall that makes the fight extra hard or other stuff. Um, a whole bunch of, like, uh, it's not uncommon for one boss fight. Uh, a raid is usually um, made up of a series of boss fights. Um, it's not uncommon for one boss fight to have two or three or four or even more achievements based on different ways that you choose to fight them. That makes it uh, a lot harder, especially if you are in a group. Yeah. And some of them require you to, uh, to watch your time because if you uh, kill it too fast, you may not be able to... Uh, trigger a certain attack which happens after X amount of time. Yeah. Or, you know, an attack happens randomly and for everyone to get the achievement, everyone has to be thrown into the fire once, but not everyone but everyone's not targeted in 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 order. Mm hmm So um usually what we'll do is if we are interested in raiding at all, and sometimes we are and sometimes we aren't. I haven't been interested whatsoever in raiding in the latest expansion, mostly because I haven't played the game that much this expansion. Um, usually what you do is you beat the raid bosses, maybe you get one or two extra achievements, but um, most of the achievements are for really, really good, really dedicated guilds or groups that play with each other excessively and know each other's strengths and weaknesses very well and aren't discouraged by failing something over and over and over and over and over, sometimes with little or no progress. Because they all want that achievement so badly. White fast. White fast. Um, once the new expansion is a new expansion is released, and you can perform, you can kill the bosses pretty effortlessly on your own or with small groups. Then those really previously really hard achievements become a little bit more achievable. And so that's what Bianca and I did a little bit this past week. We yep. uh, did some. It was from two expansions ago mostly. It was a Cataclysm raid that we did yep. mostly. Yeah, so th that was an expansion that we... That was the last expansion that I was interested in raiding, really, because we had a couple of really terrible groups, uh, guilds, Ugh. full of really immature, awful people that were very unpleasant to spend any period of time with. Yeah. So that was about the end of the... That was the last draw for me, basically, in that whole gameplay thing. But uh, doing them, doing them uh, uh, afterwards with uh, friends or with the wife, though those are a, a lot more fun. And there's a lot less frustration when you're over-leveled for it. Because it's still a challenge, especially if you're trying to do an achievement. You just don't really have to worry too much about getting killed. The real challenge is to perform the actions correctly so that you qualify for the achievement. So it might take a few attempts. However, one of the ones that you did took more than a few attempts. And you uh. really stuck with that. And luckily, you asked me if I was in the mood to do that. And I said, no, I'm not in the mood to do that. And boy, am I glad that I said that. Because you spent how long trying to get this one achievement? Last time that I did on Blackgate, which is the last wing of LFR in Hellfire Citadel. Oh, Ooh, no kidding. That was a fucking white best. Well, that's occurrence. That's current content. And that's really hard. True, but... Screw that. I need way. nine stacks of determination. That means that I was in a group that wiped nine times before we got it on our tenth attempt. Ugh, and how long per attempt? Uh, it's at least five or six minutes or eight minutes, yeah? Yeah. So well, then again, I'm better than one of my guildies who was stuck there for four hours. Uh, so you were stuck for about an hour and a half. That's just punishing. But the uh, Cataclysm, two expansions ago, achievement that you tried over and over to get, and finally did get, good for you, was... Maybe he'll get dizzy. This was the first of the two Deathwing, a.k.a. Dumbwing, 
fights in uh, Dragon Soul. The first is is, is called the Spine, Deathwing Spine, and the second is uh, the Madness of Deathwing. So this one. And who is Deathwing in Cataclysm? Is just a big badass black dragon from the Black Dragon Flight, and uh, is the one who uh, tore the world asunder. Hence the Cataclysm. And that's the best thing that anyone ever did for World of Warcraft was to basically blow up the whole world, because that's when. Uh, World of Warcraft um, levels 1 to 60 content. The game used to only go up to level 60. It uh, basically didn't change, that 1 to 60 content. didn't change at all for two expansions. Then when Cataclysm came and Deathwing blew up the whole world, Blizzard redesigned the whole, all that 1 to 60 content, which was so refreshing, and they modernized the design, and they made a lot of things less frustrating. They improved the stories. They made it so that you tend to get three or four quests in your log at one time instead of like 15 or 20. But if you still want those 15 or 20, you can always go back to uh, Blood and Azure Mist Isles or... Um, oh, right. The ones that were introduced in the expansions. Yeah. But uh, they added some structure and uh, some people didn't like that, but I liked that a lot. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. I thought it was just a nice way. Plus, it was better. You got more experience from the actual quests themselves right. and more relevant gear. So you didn't start off with a bunch of fucking cloth, and you're wearing you're supposed to be wearing mail or plate. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. They did that. Mm -hmm. Basically, yeah, gave you more rewards for doing things in general. So you had incentive to actually do the quest. So anyway, in Cataclysm, level, 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 raid, raid, raid. The very last raid of the whole, the last boss of the last raid of the whole expansion is that of course you have to defeat Deathwing, who is the one who destroyed the whole world. Yep, and he unfortunately comes in two phases because he's got these uh, armor. Yeah, he's huge for one thing, and he's got these armored plates on him, which ha give him protection. So you have to strip away the armor first. That's right. Usually, you fight a boss in a big room, but it, for Deathwing, you fight on his back. He is the room. Yeah, which yeah. Is pretty cool. Yeah, although the, although for uh, the Lich King, you fight on a huge platform, so you can still fall off or be pushed off. Yeah. Anyway. So, this achievement. Not only do I have to fight on his back, but I have to make him do a barrel roll, so... And not just a barrel roll. But I have to make him roll four times in a specific order. Left, right, left, right, and then I blow the plates off his back. And without falling off yourself. Of course. And if you and so, and so you have to dance across his spine. And I figured, the, and the, I figured out what my problem was, actually. I was not... I was standing in the on in his tentacle uh, receptacle where the uh, little tentacles come out, mm -hmm. I was standing in there too long and trying to run back and forth when I was tanking the uh, hideous amalgamation, mm -hmm. and that was why I kept getting blown off in the second phase, in the second on the second plate. Oh. So what I started doing is I ran back and forth, and then I would, and then I just like you know what I'll just blow up as many tentacles as I can, and then just get them to all come to me while I'm standing with the plate running back and forth, and then I'll and then I'll blast the. Uh, the uh, blood's down. But before I uh, would do my little dance, I would stand in one place, clear all the tentacles I could, leaving only one in place, get, blow the uh, main guys off, the ones that actually could be blown off, and then I would dance until I had like 20 of these bloods, and then bring in the, the last one, which is how I actually wound up defeating him. <laughs> so all this complicated stuff that you're describing here? It's just to get one achievement. But um, what I wanted to say was, usually if this was a current raid, you would have as many as 25 people having to know of all those details 
which detail is your responsibility, and if it's not your responsibility, you have to stay the hell away and not interfere, because if you kill something that's not supposed to be killed, then you screw up the whole thing, and 25 people die and have to pay to repair their gear, and you've wasted... If you wasted five minutes, you can multiply that by 25, and that's how much time you've wasted for pressing one wrong button. Yep. But the one, th but at least if you were one person who got blown off, it, wasn't, it wouldn't be such a big deal. Unless it happened over and over and over, which it did to you. How long did you spend on that achievement? Hmm. Maybe like two or three hours. Yeah, that was painful. So then, you're very dedicated to want that. Yeah, but I got my achievement. My uh, but I got a mount for it, so I'm happy. That's a good. That's a good reward, a mount. Yeah, and the other achievement that I had to get was to, uh, and it required some team effort. So I uh, recruited the host here. Hi. And. Uh, my instruct and the instructors were, okay, now we got to make sure this lightning jumps between the conduits without breaking the chain. Oh, yeah, that was interesting. And I think that was an achievement you're supposed to do with more than two people. Yep. But we figured out how to do it with two people. It was like, there's this conduit thing that uh, shoots out lightning, and if you're standing near it, then it shoots this arcing bolt of lightning on you. And if someone's standing next to you, then it arcs to the next person as well. So you kind of have to bridge a gap between these two things to get the lightning to travel from one to the other. And when there's just two of you standing between the two points, it's not quite far enough. But I don't know if it was a game mechanic or if we exploited the latency or something like that, but if we both ran a couple of steps at the exact same time while standing the exact right distance apart, we just barely did it. So that was a really rewarding achievement, actually. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we glitched it or what. But I don't think we good. glitched it, because you can do that with a hunter pet and... or. But if you had three people, you would you would have been it would have been way easier. Because I remember doing that with ten people, and it was super easy. So except, I, that was amazing. We could do it with two. Yeah, except uh, none, no one was on the same page when we did it, so we didn't get it because everyone had to be connected with it to work. Mm -hmm. So you had ten people, you would still be able to complete the circuit, but as the achievement, you had to complete the circuit with the lightning touching, going through everybody at the same time. Oh, is that it? So it's actually easier with fewer people. Yes. But probably three would have been the magic number, not Yeah, two. three would have been the magic number. So, or that, or two people, with one of them being a hunter. So then you can just... Put, yeah, so you, you situate your pet closest to the current conduit, and then you two, uh, and then the two people act as the intermediate uh, sources, and then you move your pet to the next one. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. World of Warcraft is a ridiculously humongous game. It's an unbelievably complicated game. There are a million things to do. And achievements are optional. Basically, anything's optional. If you want to level up your character, you do that. If you want to do, like, the max level content, you do that. There's no right or wrong way to play the game. Yep. If and you want to go into the world and capture a bunch of pets. Yeah, there's so many different things. You can do cooking or crafting or whatever. But, um... Having, with the addition of achievements in the game, which they added in their third ex second expansion pack, uh, it just added a little bit more structure. If you wanted to get achievements, then it's just kind of a shopping list of uh, activities that you can do. If you're ever wondering what you can do next, that's, it's always got thousands of things that you could potentially do. Yep. It's kind of nice. Mm -hmm. It's just an amazingly, uh, amazing depth in that game. Yep. Of course, the one place that I have almost no achievements is player versus player. <laughs> Yeah, right. Neither of us do be PvP. You, you've done it more than I have. But and I don't even have that think. much. And I don't even have that many achievements. Yeah. But yeah, I'm almost finished. I did get one achievement that was a little tricky to get, and that was higher learning. And that requires you to be able to get click all the books in Dalaran on magic. That was so boring to watch. There's like, <laughs> Dalaran is some like floating city 
in the sky, which is really beautiful and pretty incredible. And this achievement involved going to a library where maybe the book had disappeared or maybe it had reappeared, and you just kind of went to the same library or the same areas of the city over and over and over and over until it was finally there. Is that about accurate? Yeah, but it's sometimes... Boring, dude. But, but here's the uh, catch. Boring. boring. <laughs> here's the catch. Yeah. Sometimes the, there would be a book there, but it wasn't the actual book you needed. It would be one of the, the dummy or fake books. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yep. So what you could do if you were really desperate was to get is was to do realm hopping, which is uh, a practice which is best achieved by either using group the um, the uh, modified group finder now, or by getting an add-on that let, that. Uh, Let's you do realm hopping. Ah. Oh, so does, does this exploit that feature that Blizzard added, which was instead of doing what um, massively multiplayer games usually do, if their um, population is dwindling, then usually they consolidate the users from two or three different servers and just stick them on one server. But instead, uh, Blizzard invented this new technique which allows you to see players that are playing on other servers so that nobody has to change servers. It's yeah. the cross-realm play, is what they call it. Is that, does it exploit that? Yes, it does. Neat. And so what you do is you, uh, the, with the add-on or with the group finder, like the add-on actually uh, lets you find groups that are outside of your actual cross-realm uh, zone. So it goes beyond the cross-realm zone. Like my, Our cross-realm usually has a couple of other PvE servers, Argent Dawn, and that's in, I think... Light brainer and one Spanish server, of course, because you know we can't have all good players. <laughs> oh, Brazilian, isn't it? Yeah. No offense to Brazilian people. I, uh, we, um, at my work, I work at a college, and we had this like foreign student exchange program thing where at the uh, we we get students from different countries to come in. And one year we had all students from Brazil, and th they were all gamers, and some of them were game developers. And they were all IT pros, and they were lovely, hilarious, really funny people. I keep in touch with a couple of them on Steam to this day a few years later. But on World of Warcraft, it is very difficult to play uh, groups that do not speak the same language as each other. It invariably results in misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. Which amazes me how the European servers do it. No kidding. North America has it easy that we only really have to deal with people who speak Spanish or Portuguese. But in Europe, there's so many more languages. I don't know how they... How they, it's like Tower of Babel. I don't know how they get anything communicated. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so with the round hopping, you can do it. It's like I, I, I did try with the add-on. Eventually, I gave up because it was just so stupid. I'm going, this is the most retarded crap I've ever done. I gave up, and then I started uh, figuring out when the best times to check in Dalaran were. And that's how I got it two days later, after I got rid of this add-on. That is so boring. But I got the book, which teleports me to Archmage. Uh, whatever the hell his name is, and then I get a mini pet for it. Yay, so I keep the book and the mini pet, and I get the achievement. Oh, I see. So you, you teleported to Archmage, whatever his name is. Sorry, I thought it was boring, but you, you just convinced me otherwise. It's, and it takes me to his, like, super-duper hideout somewhere in uh, the Violet Citadel. <laughs> you're making... Uh, you're making me want to call you a nerd. <laughs> Which is the most hypocritical thing for me to call someone nerd. Well, you called me a nerd before, listening to me and my and our brother-in-law talk oh, about Game of Thrones. And friggin' Walking Dead. <laughs> nerd. Okay, is that, is that everything we have to say about WoW for this week? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Is that everything you played this past week or two? Um, Worth mentioning? 
you know, give or take a few things, although I have played that your favorite game on my cell phone. <laughs> oh, why don't you tell everyone my favorite game on a cell phone? It's, um, let's see, get the proper name for this uh, lovely monstrosity. Okay, got my phone right here. Up we go. Unlocking. And it is called Idle Pause. Pause as in P-A-W-S. Uh-huh. Why don't you tell us about Idle Pause? <laughs> It's a cat game, because why not? Cats. You get a cat. It's really super adorable. Are you showing me so that everyone on the podcast can see? <laughs> I'm showing you so you can describe how cute the little kitty is. It's a cute little kitty. <laughs> you get several different cats, and they all have special abilities. You yeah, the lying there and begging. <laughs> this is basically a needy animal simulator. Hey, but it doesn't shed anywhere. You don't have to change your litter box. And this is it, true. And it shits money. <laughs> this is true. So what you, do you do in this game? You pet the kitty. It gets really and happy. You're done. <laughs> you pet the kitty. <laughs> it shits money, and then you make it, and then you can, uh, and then you level up your kitty to unlock other kitties. It's basically a clicker game, except instead of tapping, you rub your finger. Yep. It is super duper adorable. The art is really cute. The animations are really cute. You just have like really happy, really needy kitties. And if you don't pet the kitty for two seconds, it like meows at you and looks at you with humongous eyes. Humongous, adorable, super duper puppy eyes. Like, meow. Kitties have puppy eyes? I don't know. Kitten eyes. Happy kitten eyes. Meow. 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 And, but, if, but if you have enough points and you're generating uh, passive pets fast enough, it gets, it's still happy. Passive pets. <laughs> I don't know what it is about this game exactly that offends me so much, but this is the stupidest game I've seen in quite some time. I don't understand what offends you either. I mean, it's... Stupid. You know what? The problem is that I never understood clicker games, and then we played... Uh, blah, 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 um, clicker Heroes? Adventure, Adventure Capitalist. Oh, yeah. Which we've talked about a long time ago when Bram was on the show. Hi, Bram. To talk about uh, puzzle games, we were talking about Adventure Capitalist, and I think that's when I that's when I uh, got the poor guy hooked on it as well. Um, then I played a whole bunch of clicker games, and I went through Clicker Mania for a good month or so, and then I quit them all kind of cold turkey, except for Adventure Capitalist, which is nice because you play it for like fifteen seconds twice a day, and that's all you have to do, and it's completely pointless, but. I'm too far invested in it not to not to. Click Plus, it has achievements that you can eventually get to. Yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that I I would like the achievements, some of them. But you just admitted that you wanted them. Yes. Even though you're ashamed, you still admit it. Yes, that's where the shame comes from. Shame. Not that you have any. Anyway, <laughs> is it my turn to talk about what I played this week? I guess you can talk about what you played. Not that you played anything interesting. Thank you, Your Majesty. <laughs> Oh, you're welcome, Canadian. Yeah. yeah, so I played some WoW with the wife. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Um, I I didn't play too many things that I haven't that I, that I haven't talked about already. Um, so I'll just skim it. But I did finish Max Payne 2. That game, I love it so much. That game is as phenomenal as ever to this day. It holds up so so well. Um, like I mentioned last week, I couldn't find a good way to play it uh, widescreen. But it's okay. You forget about it in the first five minutes or sooner, and it doesn't bother you. Um, the textures are sharp. The graphics are very good. Everything but like the the faces, really, and the character models. But the animation is great, and the physics are great. The shooting is great. 
the levels and the everything. It's just phenomenally good. It is a real masterpiece of game design. Remedy is up there. They're, they're, they're up there uh, as my favorite developer of all time. Very, very, very talented studio. Um, so, love the story. Love the writing. I love the writing of Sam Lake. And that's that, I guess. Um, I did need... I don't remember the name of it offhand. I did need to install some third-party tool. It's I think it's on SourceForge. It was some free open-source tool that acts as like a hardware abstraction layer or something like that. It's like a bridge to make old DirectX and OpenGL games work on modern systems. The game wouldn't load by default on Windows 10. It would just kind of crash, I think, without any error message. So I'll put a, a link to that in the show notes so that you guys can enjoy Max Payne 1 and 2 as well. And as I recall, you like install, or you download this um, tool, you pick the game from a pull-down menu of a whole bunch of games that it supports, and you just tell it where the location of the game is that it's installed, and that's all you ever have to do. It's like two easy steps, and it made everything work perfectly. The only other thing I will mention is uh, a game that I didn't actually play, but I watched on somebody play on YouTube. It was a recording, not a live thing. Um, it's a game for the PlayStation 4 which is a platform I have no interest in and will never buy. But once I was watching on Twitch, a guy named Jeff Green play this game. Jeff Green is the former editor-in-chief of Games for Windows magazine, which is now defunct. But he's a, a well-versed, old-school uh, games journalist and a really funny guy with a great uh, personality. So I love watching him on Twitch. So he was playing this game called P.T., which is short for Playable Teaser, which was like a, a one-hour kind of a demo for an upcoming game, Silent Hill, Silent Hills, plural, which I think the game got canceled in the end. But this teaser is really interesting. It's a first-person horror game, and it really takes place in a hallway in a room, and that's it. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what was so interesting about you watching this and getting scared witless while the light was on. It's pretty scary. It really is pretty scary. Um, and yet you made me play Outlast with the lights off. I found that scary too. You didn't, And watching you play, you weren't scared and watching you play wasn't scary. It just got boring. But Outlast scared the shit out of me. It was probably because of the sound more than anything. Um, and the same is true of PT. Uh, oh, I will I will say that, yeah, so this, this video that I found on YouTube, there are a lot of playthroughs of people who play this on YouTube, and I, ha I say past tense because for some weird reason, uh, is it Konami that published this? They It was only a limited time thing. It was like a digital download for free um, that uh, people played on their PlayStations, and then they pulled the game from, like, the demo from the store, and it also remotely deleted the game off of people's hard drives. So unless you disconnect from the internet, there's no way that you have this game anymore. So luckily people recorded a playthrough. Um, so the, the playthrough that I did find, and it took a lot of searching to find it, uh, I watched it and it was more alluring because there was no one commenting or with a video in the corner or braying like a donkey the whole time. <laughs> there are so many oh my idiotic assholes ruining this very atmospheric game because they don't know how to close their stupid prepubescent mouths. So someone did the wonderful charitable thing of recording a playthrough with no other commentary. So I really appreciate that, because the sound design and the atmosphere of this are really, really cool. So it's a very strange concept for a game. Like I said, there's a hallway. You, you start in a room. Um, you go out into a hallway, 
and then there's one other room. It's a hallway of a house, just an ordinary residential suburban-looking American house. The only room you can go into sometimes is a bathroom. You walk into the hallway and take a look around. You walk to the end of the hallway and there's like stairs going down, which kind of looks like it goes into a basement or a garage. You go through that door and uh, suddenly it puts you into the hallway that you started at again. And this whole game is kind of about the repetition of walking through this hallway and there being one little difference of some sort, or maybe a big difference, or maybe a couple of differences. Um, you walk through the hallway and get to the end, you open the door, and then it puts you at the beginning of the hallway again. I actually watched this for like 45 minutes or so, which is how long it took this person to finish it. I was kind of hoping for more of a, a rewarding reveal at the end of some sort. The ending was like non-existent, but the just the atmosphere and the experience of walking through it was really scary. It was really, really cool and engaging. Well, why would you expect an end if it was just a teaser? I was hoping that there would be some kind of meaningful resolution of some sort. It kind of gives you a trickle of new information about who inhabited this house. You don't know who you are, but you know who inhabited the house. And there's like a, a murder that happens. A father murders his wife and children or something, and you hear about it on the radio. And that radio thing plays every now and then um, during various walkthroughs. Uh, through the hallway. Oh yeah, I was wondering what that dialogue was, because mm. I know that the uh, guy was clearly not talking. Right. I was trying to figure out for a minute, was it commentary or was it the actual game, because it was so minimalist. Well, that's what's kind of interesting. It starts off just as like a reporter speaking, like uh, telling this uh, story on the news. But as you walk through a few times, every now and then the voice on the radio will say something to you personally. And every now and then the person on the radio will say something really creepy, as if the reporter was the person who was the murderer. So there's all these really subtle little things that kind of get revealed little by little. And I've seen a few examples of Japanese horror, and it doesn't really impress me all that much. This was a really good example of, of well-executed horror, I thought. Because you really don't... Because of the repetition, it kind of lulls you into a sense of, uh, of uh, like safety and rhythm. But because of this trickle of new information and new scares and new creepy disturbing things you always feel a little bit uh, a, a little bit on edge because you don't know what's gonna happen at the same time that you feel a little bit relieved because you know exactly like you know every inch of the few places that you can go to so that was a really interesting uh, way of telling a story even if it was a story with no ending or really no significant interesting meaningful ending True, so but watch I'm, it for 10 or 20 minutes if you can, because it's got some really cool stuff and a few good scares, and the sound is impeccable, and the graphics are amazing. It looks very, very lifelike. Yeah, the few glimpses I did get, it did look, it did have really nice graphics. Mm -hmm. But as, but like I said, it says it's a play, playable teaser, so I, I personally wouldn't have expected anything concrete at the end, just an example of uh, what to expect overall. And I have a feeling the actual game wouldn't have been anything like that. So I don't really... I don't, I don't know. Maybe that would, that would just like one segment of the game before you get something more. Pretty much. I think so. Or either that or it's just like a something to get you in the mood. I think it was just a marketing thing. Okay. I don't know if I've ever... I think I played a Silent Hill game. I don't know if it was on PlayStation or Dreamcast or something. It's totally not my kind of game. But it mm -hmm. was like a third-person walking around game. And this was a first-person thing. So either the, the series has changed or it was not run. Well, there is actually a message either at the beginning or I think it's at the end that says, don't worry, this thing that you've just played is not 
a part of the canon of the uh, final game. Or maybe not a part of the canon, but it's not a part of, it's not a scene from the upcoming game. Mm -hmm. But a game was never to be. They canceled it. So, um, unless I'm forgetting anything, yeah, that's all I'm going to... Oh, the, okay, there's Defense one thing... Grid. I'm not going to talk about Defense Grid 2 yet. It was on sale. I love the first Defense Grid, which is a tower defense game. I haven't played much of Defense Grid 2. I may or may not, uh, but I bought it cheap. I'm not really a, a tower defense, real-time strategy kind of a guy. It's turn-based strategy because you get... No, it's not. Well, you get a chance to plan in between, and then you can... Uh... No, it's real-time. With with gaps in between uh, swarms of enemies. Oh please, it's slow compared to what I can what I could put you into for real time. Time can be slow, but it's real time. It's not a turn based game. Right? Fine, it's, it's not a like really move, slow time based strategy game. Well, it starts off slow anyway. But tower defense, tower defense was born from Warcraft Two, a custom level on Warcraft Two, mm -hmm. which is a real time game. So it's based on that real time engine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, the one game that I do want to talk about, uh, which I've only played a tiny, tiny bit, is Grandia 2 Anniversary Edition. I played Grandia 2 on Dreamcast. I'm totally not a JRPG kind of a guy, but I loved this game. It had a terrific combat engine, which is sort of a, a really weird combination of turn-based and real-time. Or I'll say, not real-time, but time-based. It's turn-based and time-based, we could say. Um, based on your character's agility, like, so first, sorry, they, I'll start off to say there's like a timeline, and everyone who's in the fight, all of your teammates and all the enemies, show up on this timeline. Based on the agility of your character, that's how fast your uh, icon moves from the back of the timeline to the front, and when you're at the front of the timeline, then that's when you can attack. And based on your initiative, that specifies where you start on the timeline at the beginning of the fights. If you have high initiative, then you start almost ready to attack. And if you have low initiative, then it's likely that your enemies will be able to attack before you. Really cool combat engine that uh, rewards um, using interrupts and uh, managing your different uh, attributes. And uh, once you have a party, knowing uh, the importance of stacking up your attacks so that the right person can set up a combo before the next person finishes it off. Terrific combat engine. Um, I also like the story a lot, and it has nice, colorful graphics. It's a really, really good game. Um, and I never... There was a PC version, and it was nice to play because uh, it was the same low-res textures and videos as the Dreamcast version, but you could play it in high resolution. So even though it was, like, low polygon count, the edges looked really sharp, and the lines were anti-aliased, and that was really nice. So just this week, um, Grandia 2 Anniversary Edition was added to Steam, which is a brand new re-release of the game. And I'm really disappointed with this port. It doesn't seem to really add anything um, to the game. It's low. It runs at a low frame rate. I think it actually runs at 30 frames per second, which for like a game that's basically turn-based isn't the end of the world, but that's a disappointment. The biggest disappointment is that it's still in 4x3 aspect ratio, it's not widescreen. It has like a an ignore aspect ratio button, but that only stretches the game so that everybody looks all fat and flabby, <laughs> which is the same uh, problem with Max Payne 2. Um, but Max Payne 2 is good enough that you forget about the widescreen stuff. This one, we'll see. I mean, I'm spoiled, obviously. I played it very happily 
on my television, on my low resolution, uh, standard definition, uh, non-widescreen television originally. So obviously it was good enough for me then. But mm -hmm. if you're going to re-release the game and charge 20 bucks for it, I really expect it Something. to be yeah, more than just a, a basic port. Uh, even though I love the game, I might just get a refund just because I'm dissatisfied with the port. They did, however, add Steam trading cards, because who the hell cares about those? And they added achievements, which I guess is kind of cool, but I really don't care that much. And they added a hard mode, which I would never play because... I think I must have gotten like a good 50 or 60 hours into the original game and I didn't finish it and it was pretty challenging. Hard mode is not going to increase my interest to play the game. So we'll see how it goes, but time is ticking. I might just get a refund because I thought it was a very lazy part. Okay, that's all I want to talk about for games played this week. we got a lot of show left. Yeah, and don't we also have a, uh, don't you also have a voicemail or a long one from a certain... Uh... Of course we do. From a, from a certain uh, Troll? A, a certain uh, Great Dane, yes. <laughs> Before that, I just wanted to quickly uh, fire off these three corrections from our beloved listeners. We love all the feedback we get from the listeners, even corrections. Just love it. So thank you very much. Anatoly tweeted me to follow up on uh, something uh, that I had erroneously said when uh, he was my guest uh, recently to talk about uh, old 3D games. Um, the first game that I mentioned was a game called Battlezone, which was an arcade game from, I forget, 1980, 1981. It's an incredibly early 3D game. Um, I had mentioned that there were two different versions, one with green uh, vector graphics and one with brown vector graphics. Um, and Anatoly had correctly assumed that that was due to the graphics being actually like white vector arrays that were just covered with like a colored piece of cellophane. So he followed up to confirm that. So thank you for that correction, Anatoly. And Anatoly is at some kind of a, he's at some kind of like a retro game convention uh, in New Jersey today where he lives. So I hope he has a good time with that and comes back with some good pictures. I'm really jealous. I'd love to go to something like that. He's been tweeting about playing arcade games and stuff. So that sounds great. Um, we have a correction from Akago that Anatoly had mentioned some uh, English, some UK uh, television show, which sort of resembled a video game. Um, and Akago confirms that that show was something called Nightmare, K-N-I-G-H-T-M-A-R-E, Nightmare. So thank you, Akago, for that. And finally, I got an email from Avi Hayun. It was great to hear from him again. Haven't heard from him in a little bit, but uh, we've always enjoyed his letters and his voicemails. Uh, so, shalom, Avi. He uh, let me know that I had gotten one of the hyperlinks in the uh, show notes uh, incorrect. And I felt badly because it was a hyperlink to a video to Robocop 3 on YouTube. I felt bad because that was uh, a video that was recorded by Anatoly. He, he uh, did a playthrough and uh, uploaded the video footage to YouTube. So thank you very much for that, Abby. I corrected that right away. And it was an impressive catch, too, because we had a lot of show notes for last week's show. So that was great. Okay, now before we get to our topic, we have a, a substantial voicemail from our lovely friend, the great Dane himself, the Space Quest historian, Trolls. So let's give that a go and see what he's uh, got, what kind of chip he has on his shoulder this time. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Squares, it's the Space Quest Historian thingy, that's me, hi. Uh, it's been ages since I've uh, called into your show and I feel 
quite uh, guilty about that because I love to annoy you at any turn possible. So at this point, uh, it's uh, Friday when I'm recording this. I've just got off work. I'm having a, a you know, after work kind of beer thingy. It's a kind of beer thing. It's not an actual beer. It's actually just uh, me slurping rainwater out of the palm of my hand. But it's a beer to me. Anyway, um, uh, I just figured I'd call in to address some of the topics that have been raised in your previous couple of episodes, or few episodes. Um, for one, um, in your episode with Dosh Nostalgic, uh, Father Beast wrote in and uh, said that... Uh, to the best of his knowledge, or maybe it was Brian, to the best of his knowledge, I was uh, um, not pro-parser, but con-parser, if that's even a phrase. And I am totally pro-parser. I don't know what I said in my drunken stupor during my last appearance on your show, uh, but uh, I actually quite like the parser, and I do feel that it offers you a lot of freedom. Hi, Father Beast. You can kill me now, uh, but uh, I really do. And, and it, but of course, that freedom depends on if someone is able to actually program the fucking thing in a uh, in, in a manner. And uh, <clears throat> I keep coming back to what Al Lowe did with the uh, first Leisure Suit Larry game, which was that he, uh, you know, for demo purposes, he wrote in this nice little script in Leisure Suit Larry One, EGA, of course, um, and then sent it out to uh, testers and uh, you know friends and shit and. Uh, and whenever they typed something in that the parser couldn't understand, it would output that text string onto a uh, you know a text file, and uh, he'd get all these all these uh, you know uh, text files back, this feedback, and he'd just sit there and write in um, you know messages for what people were typing in when they got frustrated, which helped bolster the uh, you know uh, vocabulary of the game, and it helped uh, you know create some messages for people who were just you know wandering around and uh, not uh, sure what they were doing, gonna do, and uh, that's just a really really that's a good way of designing a parser game now the second best one is of course what uh, Anatoly mentioned on the podcast which is which is doing the uh, legend entertainment thing where you actually have a list of everything you can type in but I think the magic of a parser is uh, being able to type something out of the blue as if you are communicating with the game itself and just type uh, you know anything put plot uh, put uh, potted plants on head just to see if that actually does anything. Uh, that, that, that level of exploration is lost with point-and-click games. Uh, now, I know I may have said something contrary to what I'm just saying right now uh, during my drunken appearance on the last episode. I dearly hope to be invited back uh, to complete my list of uh, emotionally charged games. Oh my god, tear just formed in my eye. Uh, and I do promise to be a lot more sober this time around. I don't promise to swear less, but I do promise to be more sober. Anyway, uh, next point of order. Uh, early 3D games, we're sticking with the Anatoly episode here. Um, early 3D games, all I can say is I have, I have deep, deep affection for early, uh, or 2.5D uh, 3D games. Um, I, I especially, for some reason, I loved the build engine. Uh, not because it was technologically superior, although it was, uh, compared to a lot of uh, other 3D engines that were out there at the time, but really because it was made by one fabulously nerdy person who just sat down and went, Wolfenstein 3D? I can totally do that. Like, like he just he just looked at Wolfenstein 3D one day, uh, which was like the pinnacle of uh, what computers could do back when Wolfenstein 3D came out, and he just looks at it and goes, I can do that. 
And he just sits down and fucking does it and, and creates Ken's Labyrinth. And then Ken's Labyrinth uh, uh, morphs into uh, the build engine, uh, which was, uh, you know, he, he gets, uh, you know, swallowed up by 3D realms. That sounds dirtier than it actually is. And, uh, and he goes on to create what is ostensibly one of the most advanced 2.5D engines of the, uh, you know, early to mid 90s. Uh, well, mid '90s actually, and and you know I played around. Uh, what, what was really brilliant about uh, Duke Nukem 3D and uh, you know the, the games that used the build engine was that they fucking had a level editor in it, and I I spent so much time building levels uh, for Duke Nukem 3D because not only was there a level editor, it was it was user friendly. It was a really, really user-friendly level editor. And, uh, you know, it had its quirks and had its little, you know, charms and, and weird things that could happen. Like, some of the skyboxes would just cause insta-death if you put them over. I remember I, I did this, uh, you know, huge arena thing with this huge skybox, this kind of dome-shaped skybox with a, <coughs> a little hole in it. And uh, I put in this nice, uh, you know, uh, um, this, this nice little skybox graphic in it, and uh, it didn't dawn on me until very, very late that that skybox was actually lethal to poor old Mr. Nukem. Anyway, <laughs> can you tell I'm outside? Cool, because all the wind noise and shit. Anyway, anyway, fucking love uh, Duke Nukem 3D, and that's uh, why I, you know, sort of had this love-hate relationship with uh, Normality, for instance, because it, it really, really just reeks of Duke Nukem 3D. And, uh, you know, Dust Nostalgic actually was very kind to point out it's not as advanced as, for instance, Under Killing Moon's 3D engine was, but I, I sort of found Normality's uh, 3D engine uh, more interesting. Uh, it, it, was, it was more populated, better textured. Uh, the character, you know, wobbled up and down like you'd expect in, like, Doom and Duke Nukem instead of just floating like a ghost across the uh, uh, really, really kind of barren... You know, to be honest, kind of barren landscapes that were in, at least under Killing Moon, they got better with uh, the Pandora Directive and actually started populating the areas with shit. Anyway, I'm rambling. Uh, third point of order, old console games. I was never much of a console gamer, but my brother and I, uh, my brother's three years younger than me, uh, we had a Nintendo. We had one of the, you know, uh, old uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, and that thing is still around. It's in my brother's uh, uh, care right now, and care, I'm putting in air quotes right here. Um, and it's, it's, you know, two controllers. It still has all the old cartridges. We got Mega Man 3, we've got Super Mario Brothers, we got Star Tropics, which I never got into for some reason, uh, and uh, Kabuki Quantum Fighter, which is one of those really obscure games where, you know, this the, it's, it's basically a platformer, but your main weapon of choice is just headbanging at people. It's so fundamentally fucked up Japanese, it's beautiful. Um, anyway, uh, that thing is still around, uh, and... And my wife and I both dearly miss it because my wife is more of a console gamer than I am. I was, I'm actually more of a PC gamer, if you hadn't noticed. Um, but uh, she was more of a console gamer. She had a, she had a Nintendo uh, Entertainment System. Her, uh, her sister had a Sega uh, Master System and then moved on to the Mega Drive. Yes, it was called the Mega Drive in Denmark. Uh, what always fucked me up, and this was actually my point about old console system, what actually fucked console systems. What, what always fucked me off about old console systems was that they existed in a multitude, actually a myriad of different versions. You, you had the uh, uh, US version, you had the PAL version, you had the, uh, uh, the UK version, you had all these sorts of different versions of the actual system, not the games, just the actual systems. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm tripping over myself talking about this. Um, 
uh, but you had all these various uh, different versions of it so uh, and ostensibly this was to uh, discourage piracy like you could pirate a fucking cartridge in 1988 but come on guys anyway so uh, we have the scandinavian uh, nintendo entertainment system obviously because we lived in scandinavia our parents bought it for us when we were like eight six years old my brother was six i was eight i guess um and uh, we would you know borrow cartridges from friends and such and uh, that's a train going by never mind that um but uh nowadays we have the actual fucking hardware sitting somewhere that's the beer by the way never mind that we have the actual fucking hardware sitting there and we go on eBay to buy games that we want to play. And my wife and I fell into the trap. Of course, we didn't check if this was the, uh, you know, the actual real version of the console that we had. So we bought Super Mario Bros. 3 uh, for the Nintendo Entertainment System. But it was the French version and not the Scandinavian version. Oh. So, uh, fuck you, Nintendo. Uh, however, you do win points back for creating the Nintendo Wii, which is... Um, by and large, a terribly shitty game console. I completely and utterly despise the uh, Wiimote because it doesn't actually do anything that I want it to, except act as a brilliant mouse cursor for adventure games, but the adventure games that actually came out for the Wii are all piss poor. Uh, so, what I, uh, what I however dearly love about the Wii is that it's a fantastic emulator. So, now we could just, uh, you know, go on the Nintendo Store and buy all of these old games and play them with this horrible Wiimote that has radio controls or Bluetooth. I don't know what the fuck it does. It works on shitty magic as opposed to good magic. Um, so anyway, that was my long-winded spiel about everything that you've covered in the past. I will throw in a closing remark about The Sims because you've spent an awful lot of time talking about The Sims, and I don't, like Anatoly, I don't give a shit about The Sims. Uh, a friend of mine, a similarly misanthropic friend of mine, and I played The Sims when it first came out. I think we downloaded a pirated copy because fuck The Sims. Uh, we downloaded a copy, uh, spent 20 minutes trying to do something constructive with it, ended up uh, spending all our money trying to build a moat around our house because fuck everyone else, and then we just decided, fuck it, this thing is not not for us. Then we just did what everyone else does when they get sick of The Sims. They lock them in closed quarters with no bathroom and make them shit themselves to death, or they put in pools and then take out the ladder once they get in the pool just to kill them off. That took about a total, grand total of 45 minutes, and then we just went, fuck this game, why the hell are we bothering? So uh, <laughs> then we went back to playing Carmageddon, I guess. Um, so anyway, that's my uh, completely short and uh, succinct and uh, concise voicemail for you, my dear friend Brian, and whoever you've got on as a guest as you're listening to this. So uh, thank you, and uh, keep up the good work as always. Dearly love everyone, especially Chris. Um, how, do you, how do you turn this thing off? <laughs> oh, thanks so much, trolls! Wow, that was a lot of voicemails all in one. And uh, before I go on, brief. To that was hardly brief. Before I go on to reply to one of these things, I uh, am going to include a photograph uh, <laughs> in uh, the show notes or somewhere, which uh, shows that all three of our birds were lulled right to sleep <laughs> by the soothing tones of trolls getting drunk at the biggest train station in all of Denmark. <laughs> More like they are getting bored to death listening to him ramble on. Well, 
gosh. Yeah, well, I thought that was a great call. Thank you very much. Hey, I'm not saying it Charles. wasn't good. I'm just saying maybe they got bored. <laughs> maybe they did. I know. The, the birds aren't as big console gamers as some of us, perhaps. Nope. Um, that was a really interesting comment, actually, about the different um, regional versions of the consoles and the incompatibilities between them. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that must be something that's unique to Scandinavia and Europe, or maybe to uh, Asia as well. Yep. Um, oh, I remember. I know it's definitely unique because I remember when I was in high school, grade nine, actually, when the when the, when the, when the PlayStation was out in Japan, but it was still, you know, all talk about coming out here. It was all this stuff about how we need to get it, but you can own, but you can't get it because it's nation. They won't sell it to North America until the actual North American console came out. Hmm, that's right. I think that was actually the the, the PS2 and the or the PlayStation. Did you say the play, PlayStation, PlayStation One, one. Right? Yeah. I think the PlayStation One and the Dreamcast were actually really easy to pirate games on, and that's probably well. And that's interesting considering the uh, original Nintendo had all of those. Protections. I think, to my knowledge, there were only two ways to pirate original Nintendo games. One was to have the ability to to copy and manufacture uh, cartridges based on like a ROM reader or something like that. And the other was, I believe, there was an official floppy disk drive for the Japanese Famicom. And with the right software, or maybe a hardware hack, you were able to actually copy cartridges, or I think there were games and applications on floppy as well. You could copy those for other people. I think they used some like non-standard way of formatting the floppies so that it wasn't really readable in a computer, only on the Famicom itself. Mm -hmm. I wish I had the details around that. If anybody knows the details about that, then please uh, let us know. But we spoiled North Americans. It was the same version of the of these consoles in Canada and the U.S. There might have been something different in Mexico, which is the next closest country, I guess. Yeah. But uh, between Canada and U.S., we could play any of those games interchangeably, no oh, problem. Oh, yeah, definitely. I can attest to that. Mm -hmm. Oh, so that was great. Thank you very much, Trolls. And this is a great lead-in into our topic uh, for the day, which is old... Oh, my gosh. Old console games. Mm -hmm. I'm oh, my goshing because of this ridiculously long list of games. Yeah. We have, I think, at least 100 games on our list here. Yeah. Which is a kind of cuckoo bananas. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, what I was hoping we could do is just kind of talk about some of our old, uh, our early experiences with these consoles and maybe just say a sentence or two about these different games because there's no way you can talk about these in any detail. But let's linger on the ones that meant something to us that we enjoyed the most. Yeah, but I'm looking at the first three in this list and I'm going, I don't think I was old enough to even hold a controller at the time. I think you're probably right. Why don't I, I don't even remember very much about these first three consoles, so why don't I kick it off with a short story of those, and then you okay. can talk about the next one, which is a major one. Mm -hmm. All right, so I do not remember which of these two consoles would have been the first that I had tried, but uh, one of the consoles on my list is the Atari 2600. Um, interestingly, it was uh, some family friends that owned this Atari 2600. It was actually the uh, device owned by uh, the father, a guy named Jeff. Um, and we would play his games. He probably had a good 20 games or so, which was a big investment in the 80s. I think the cartridges were like 40 or $50, and this would have been like around 80, I don't know, 85 or so. Oh, man. No, I before that, 83. Oh, man. <laughs> so I definitely wouldn't have been able to hold the controller. <laughs> yeah. So I played these as quite a young kid. I was like six or seven years old. And 83, you probably would have been in about five, four or five. Yeah, so I, I think it was, yeah, 83, 84. So I would have been five or six years old. Um... 
Atari 2600, there's really only two games, three games, as a matter of fact, that I remember playing on Jeff's console. Oh, and uh, I guess before that, I will say the Atari 2600, the most unique things about this console were that you would... Um, you would put a game into the console and you would turn it on with a, a weird switch, like a weird metal uh, rocker switch. And there were usually different modes of the game that you could invoke by flipping switches on the console itself. So there might be like an A type and a B type of the game. And so you would walk over to your console and flip the switch. And then you would play this other mode, this other iteration of the game. Whereas, of course, today you would just do that in the options where you would say start game A, start game B. Mm -hmm. um, the other unique thing about this console was the controller, which was really weird. I want to make sure I remember this right. Let's just look at this for a second. Atari 2600 controller. I remember it being a bunch of... Uh, sorry, I'm looking at controllers and none of these really ring a bell. Am I even thinking about the right console? What I remember from the Atari 2600... Hmm. was kind of a remote control looking thing. Scroll back up to the top. I think I saw something. Is that, is that could it be the 5200? Maybe it was the 5200. What I remember was um, a controller which had 12 buttons on it, 3 by 4 It looked like a telephone. And in case you're looking at the right one, if you look at the 5200. Well, I think there were different controllers for the 2600. It's entirely possible I'm thinking of the wrong console. That's how long ago it was. But what I'm remembering is um, it had like these, yeah, these 12 buttons that sort of were laid out like a telephone. And I think there might have been a, 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 a track, a, not a trackball, like a wheel, like a, a scrubbing wheel, a big dial that you could use as well. Um, it was kind of uh, bronze colored, if I'm remembering right. And what was especially unique was that there would be these kind of inserts. Um, a sheet of paper, like a sheet of laminated paper or plastic, that you would slide on top of the uh, buttons, and then it would tell you what the buttons, what controls the buttons in that game performed. Weird. Interesting, though. Interesting concept. At least there's no guesswork. Yeah. I've got to be thinking of a different console, I guess. Because when I look for this on Google Images, it's only showing a two-button joystick, or a one-button joystick, which looks... Familiar to me, but not from that era. It looks like the one you were thinking when you were trying to find earlier this week. Yeah, it does. That's right. I was looking for some, I forget, some other thing. An Atari joystick. Um, okay, well, I obviously don't remember this as well as I thought I did, so I won't talk in detail, in, uh, in, in great depth about it, but the three games that I remember are one was a tank game where two players would each control a tank and they would have to shoot. Uh, like a big square pixel at each other with their tank, and um, the the shots would you, would... you would navigate around a maze, and the shots would bounce off the wall, so you could uh, do all of these, like, reflection bank shots and stuff to hit the other guy. Uh, and I think there were uh, enemies that you could destroy as well, but it was primarily a player-versus-player game. And that might have been the two different modes. Maybe one of them was to kill NPC-controlled enemies, and the other one was to damage the other the other player instead. Uh, another game that I remember is the infamous E.T., which, uh, Bianca, you played that game uh, when we went to Sid Bolton's uh, computer yeah. museum. Yeah, that's also where we, that's why Bradford. I'm also thinking that's where we, that's, I mean, it's also where we saw the Atari controllers and the tank game. I know exactly the tank game you're talking about. Mm -hmm. 
ColecoVision. Okay, so that's the controller I was thinking about. So I'm getting my consoles confused anyway. Well, gee, maybe this guy had a ColecoVision then. <laughs> this is totally the controller I was thinking about. Wow. Okay, anyway. Uh, that's pretty sexy, though. It's kind of sexy. Yeah, it looks like a telephone with a knob on the top, a dial on the top. <laughs> hey, whoa, I can't hear anything. It's whoa. a knobophone. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe I'll just shut my big mouth about the Atari 2600 because I was way too young and I barely touched it since, except for at the Computing History Museum. Yeah, I mean, I was so young, I was still on uh, my mother, my mommy's bosom. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. Okay, the next one I'll talk about then is the ColecoVision. I guess this is where I was uh, thinking of this controller, which is like the telephone thing with a with a dial on it. Really cool looking controller, and this is the one with the paper inserts. Um. So there's a few games that I remember from this system. My favorite one was one called Time Pilot. This was a, a port of the arcade game where it's like this sort of a top-down uh, top perspective of a plane or, or a spaceship or something. And you uh, turn in different directions, uh, shooting down other enemies. It's basically a shoot 'em up game, but the perspective was unique. Instead of it being uh, a side-scroller, like one-direction kind of a game, you could move in whatever direction you wanted. You were kind of in the open sky. And you would have to dodge bullets and rescue paratroopers and shoot down enemies without getting shot down yourself. Neat. Another one that I remember playing but remember nothing about was called Smurf's Rescue in Gargamel's Castle. Um, I don't remember a damn thing about this game. It was like, a side... Why did you list it? Because I played it. Oh, it was a side-scrolling platform game. It was a side-scrolling platform game. Uh, you could talk to the Smurfs. You had to like jump over Ooh, holes Smurfs. and stuff. It was a pretty rudimentary side-scrolling platformer from what I remember. Uh, for whatever reason, the only thing that comes to mind when I say the name of this game is that somebody once gave me a stuffed animal at a rave. It was like a fuzzy bunny. And when I asked what its name was, the person said it was Gargamel. So that's my, that's my story about the ColecoVision. <laughs> Another game that I played was called BC's Quest for Tires, based on the comic strip character BC, the caveman. Um, you were like on this stone unicycle, and it was uh, it was kind of similar to the arcade game Wonder Boy, where you're always moving to the right. You can slow down, but you can't stop. And maybe you could stop. Anyway. And uh, you would jump over stuff, and you would attack stuff. It was very similar to Wonder Boy. And... The last one I remember, I don't remember if this was a ColecoVision game or an Atari 2600 game. It was called Jungle Hunt. Another Too bad platformer you can't game. use Google to look this up. I'm using BrainGull instead of Google. And we see how far that guy turned in 2600. Oh, go F yourself. <laughs> um, Jungle Hunt, it was kind of similar to Pitfall, I guess. You're in a jungle and you're jumping around and you're dodging... Uh, wild animals and swinging on ropes and stuff like that. Uh, I think it was probably a clone. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's a ColecoVision. By far, my favorite uh, game was Time Pilot. And for whatever reason, I uh, associate ColecoVision with the game... Oh, why can't you think of what it's called? Is it Perfection? The one where you have to put little shapes into a board... It's a yes. board game, and then uh, yeah, you run out of time, then it pops out. Yeah, that's perfection. Ah, oh, I hate that board game so I much. I hate it, it too. It's so angry. It was a, uh, 
it was a kid that lived around the corner from me when I was growing up. And I would go to his house to we would play ColecoVision together, and sometimes we would play Perfection together. And what I remember about this kid, I don't remember his name, but I remember that not. his parents were Scottish and had these thick Scottish accents, but the kid was born in Canada and didn't have the accent. And I found that whole situation unfathomable, and I think I secretly doubted that this was this kid belonged to his parents and that his body <laughs> was adopted. But I think I was too polite to say so. But now I know that this is a commonplace thing, having met more more immigrants. <laughs> okay, the, the last one I will talk about that only I can talk about is the Sega Master System. Uh, my friend Leon from uh, elementary school, he was a, a Russian, he was a kid who came from Russia, but he spoke English fluently. He had the Sega Master System. I remember very little about this game, obviously, because the only game I can remember for it, I'm pretty sure actually wasn't... I'm pretty sure it must have been an NES game and not a Master System game. The NES and the Master System were kind of competitors, but the the NES blew it out of the water in terms of popularity. Um, and I remember I played a few games in his house, and they were really chintzy. They they just seemed like poorly made games. They didn't interest me as much as the Nintendo Entertainment System. I sort of wondered whether these might have been games that he had brought from Russia, but thanks to the conversation with Anatoly, or a couple of conversations with Anatoly, I know that... Russia really only had knockoff systems. It didn't really have the official systems for the most part, if at all. And Which makes sense, seeing as how it was the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. So they, they didn't really uh, take... Uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't really get technology from uh, abroad quite as easily, if at all, uh, in, in some cases. Mm -hmm. So um, the only game that I remembered playing, which I obviously... I looked up later on, and it seems like... It was actually not for that system at all. Whatever. But I'll mention it. It's a game called Karnov. Which I remember because it was... I played it at a Russian guy's house, and it's a game where you are a Russian guy. Oh, isn't that convenient? <laughs> isn't that convenient? Uh, that was like a, a combat... Side-scrolling combat platformer game where you're some big, angry, shirtless Russian guy, and you have to <laughs> smash a bunch of monsters or something, and you shoot fireballs at them. And Leon was always impressed at how quickly I was able to press the fire button that I could do really rapid-fire shots. It was one of those games where you could only render, like, two or three shots of your screen, uh, two, two or three shots on screen at once. But, uh, uh, so, so, uh, but you could, you could shoot them in rapid succession until it had drawn the maximum number, then you would wait for them to fall off the screen, and you could do more. But then I would impress him by walking over to the left edge of the screen and pressing the button really, really fast. <laughs> I found out in later years that that's actually a thing. Uh, people who compete to press the, the button the fastest possible. And apparently the fastest guy in history uh, was known as Takahashi Meijin from Japan, which, uh, which uh, translates to Takahashi the Famous. And he was famous for being able to press the uh, Famicom A button 16 times per second. Ooh, some claim to fame. I can press the A button. He was very <laughs> famous. Well, I mean, they gave him the nickname, the famous. He would. He, they um, hired him to do commercials for for like soft drinks and candy and stuff in Japan. Then you should think that you should find one of those. I'd love to see that. Oh, you're gonna put me on the spot like that? Okay, I'll see of if I can I find it. I'll see if I can find it. They interviewed you're, you're him once. You're about all this stuff. Of course, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Fight <laughs> me. They interviewed him once on Game Center CX, and he was the nicest guy. And he had gotten on in the years, and he could only press it like 13 times oh, a second. And he brought with him this special uh, button-pressing tournament controller. It looked just like the Famicom controller, but it had a little LCD screen on it that told you how many times you'd press the button per second. 
and he could only do, yeah, 12 or 13 a second or something, which was way faster than uh, Arino, the host of Game Center CX, who I think did it eight or nine times and thought that that was pretty good. Okay, that's, uh, I'm going to add to my show notes that I'll find an ad with Takahashi Meijin. Why don't you um, talk about uh, when you were first exposed to the Nintendo Entertainment System? Oh, oh geez, how far? This is obviously back in the 80s. I was quite young, but still old enough to hold the controller. So I think the first time I saw it, it was actually at my cousin's house. Hmm. Cousins like I okay I should say the uh, my younger cousin's house since uh, another cousin I used to uh, play video games with as well my younger cousins uh, one who was a year younger than me and one who was three years younger than me they had Nintendo and the first things I remember seeing was not the first Mario but the second one hmm. and what struck me as interesting is that they were uh, trying to that they didn't want to reset because they didn't want to lose their progress and so on the screen paused with the game itself. Oh, and they ha and it was on this massive television screen. In fact, television is still still works perfectly fine. It's in my dad's house now. I think it's like fifty. It's like that forty inch or something, forty or fifty inch. Yeah, it's humongous. Yeah, they had the video game on there, so they're playing Mario Two, the North America, the American version of uh, Super Mario. Oh Wars. man, we should bring our Nintendo to your dad's place. <laughs> yeah, so we so they had that on there. Hmm. That was the first time I really saw anything, but. When I got Nintendo, it was a Christmas thing because, of I, no, I don't think it was Christmas. I think my parents just brought it home one day. Wow. I know. My dad brought it home. It came, we came, it came with the standard stuff. Mary, Super Mario and Duck Hunt. And with the light gun. Oh, I love that light gun so much. Me too. That was a magical thing, Duck Hunt. Yeah. Of course, you know, it's, your parents tell you, stand away from the television. You know, being like five or six years old, what are you going to do? You're going to take the gun and you're going to press it right against the screen so you can shoot the damn ducks. Mm -hmm. I mean, what kid, unless they're, you know, really good or don't, is going to stand back in the screen to avoid And, of course, when you miss duck, what do you do? You shoot the dog. Of course, the little bastard laughs at you. Yeah, of course. Stupid bastard. Apparently, uh, that light gun only works on uh, cathode ray tube televisions like your dad has. So if we're ever going to play that game again with the original hardware, yeah. we have to play it on his TV, basically. Oh, that sucks. We're going to need to scum our way over to his house with, the, <laughs> with our Nintendo. Mm -hmm. we have, we have, how many Nintendos do we have between us? One or two? We have two of the original. No, we don't even have the original. We only have one of the original consoles, but two of mm. the SNES. Oh, okay. Because here we, we go. Sad story time. <laughs> I had... I wound up having... I wound up having two... What was it? Actually, I wound up having two versions of the N of. No, I only had one of the uh, original uh, NES. And when I got the Super Nintendo, my mother sent the NES to Quebec City, where my uh, grandmother lived. So that way, you know, us, my cousin and I, on my mother's side, would have something to play when they sent us to the room, so the adults could talk loudly in a lovely mel melange of French, Greek, and. English. Yeah, try following that conversation. All you need to know is there's a lot of hand gesturing and a lot of uh, brain. Oh, <laughs> like you thought I'm not stupid. You thought I'm not like a horse. These people. <laughs> yeah, you do laugh like a horse. <laughs> oh, these people were amused by the stupidest little shit things, and you could and the laugh. 
I'm surprised they didn't get complaints from the neighbors. But no, they sent the kids to the room to prevent the man from downstairs from being angry by us. Oh yeah, the two quietest ones in the fucking house and we were told to, you know, don't want to make that man downstairs angry. So, <laughs> you know, we were sent to the room and told to play video games. Yeah, that was how they tried to shut you up. They made up this imaginary man downstairs. Yeah, and then sometimes they would, ha they would have, they got two of our aunts in on this and so they would come and they would just knock but they wouldn't come in for another 10 minutes because they lived around the corner so they they could wait around and so they would knock they would go away so my uh, godmother would come up to us and tell us the man downstairs came up to complain ah uh, i it's, it pisses <laughs> me off that they did this to us and you know what if we actually i'm wondering if we ever did come up or if there was ever someone downstairs <laughs> but that being said my console was sent to Quebec City, and it was nice for a while to have it there. Unfortunately, when I moved to when I moved down to my mother's house for good and to Toronto to go to school, I tried to get it back from her, but it turns out that my godmother, who had it, apparently got permission from my mother, who I never gave permission to in the first place, to send to give this console to her other godchild in Lillette, and I'm kind of irritated about that. I have nothing against, you know, the uh, my godmother and her family, they were nice, perfectly nice people, even though I've never understood the damn word her family said, seeing how they spoke zero English. <laughs> Absolutely not a lick of English. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which made, you know, that one time I went to leave, like, very awkward. I'm sitting here going, I don't understand the damn thing these people are saying. Of course, these people didn't understand the damn thing I'm saying. They spoke only French. <laughs> but you all spoke Nintendo. Uh, no, we didn't. I never played it with her family, but... Oh, they just got it. Yeah, they just her other godchild got it. Oh. But this was a system that my cousin and I would play for years. Even after we got... Even after I got the Super Nintendo. So, and so... Long-running joke is she was always Luigi and I was Mario. I mean, me, I'm a month younger. And it's always the only one who would get Mario. And that's the younger one. Uh, sure. Yeah, I think that's actually an unspoken rule of Mario Brothers. Yep, the younger one would get would get Luigi, but huh, lucky me, I got I got it because it was technically still my console. Mm -hmm. She had her own Nintendo console as well at her house, but it was mine that got sent to Quebec City for some stupid reason. Mm. But yeah, when it was when I still had it in uh, while I was growing up and at home, we I used to play a lot of Super Mario Brothers. Didn't we all? Mm -hmm. I could never get past eight. I always suck to getting past eight more. That's the stupid maze. Oh yes. The Bowser course, Castle maze. Yeah. I don't think I even made it as far as that. I sometimes I made it that far, but let's see. I primarily played with my dad, who is Luigi. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's just say his his video game skills are still not. He still couldn't play that game very well. Although your dad's better at video games than ever before now. True, but that's not saying my seeing is how it came from nothing. Sure. Plus, Mario is a hard game. Mm -hmm. And then most of my other, and then until I got the Super NES, I did rent a few games. When, what did I rent? Oh, yes. Mario's Missing. This was one of the earlier Luigi games. Oh, this was an educational game? Yes. It's when it's, and it was interesting because it still had a lot of the Mario game aspects, like the pipes, the warping in the worlds. But you didn't jump on Goombas or anything. It was like Mario Brothers meets Carmen San Diego. That's sort of what I remember about it. I finished it, actually. Hmm. I finished it in one weekend. Oh, is it a good game? Yeah. I did try it for Super Nintendo, but unfortunately it wasn't the same. Hmm. The original was better. Way better. Of course, I uh, 
did Mario Paint as well? Or was that just for Super Nintendo? That was Super Nintendo. Okay, so wrong console. Just trying to think. Oh, yes. Yeah, so back to Quebec City. Because I had Blades of Steel. Yeah. It was, what's interesting about this game was it was not actually mine. This belonged to my mother's common-law husband. Well, my parents divorced when I was seven. But my mother's common-law husband, he bought it to play on the console. Funny thing is, he never played it. So I got good at it. And, eventually, and so sometimes I would get bored and I would ask him to play with me. Mm-hmm. He didn't do very well. <laughs> My cousin also got good at this game, so we would both play against each other, and it was actually pretty fun. She's a big hockey fan to this day, too. Mm-hmm. That's a great game. And it's a Japanese-made hockey game. Which yeah, is Konami. Funny. Yeah, which is really funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I loved the uh, intermissions. Yeah, the intermissions had little mini-games. Sometimes had mini-games. Otherwise had, like... Uh, pseudo uh, commercial so it didn't actually promote any games but it was like it sort of made, like a halftime show kind of a thing yeah it made it uh it simulated like a halftime uh, show on the jumbotron or jumbo mm. screen i should say yeah jumbotron is uh, a roger singer oh yeah <laughs> anyway so what i remember is uh getting my uh getting my mother's uh boyfriend to come play with us and laughing because both of us kicked his butt at this game <laughs> oh it was really funny watching andrea just wipe the floor with it <laughs> And then sometimes you would take turns playing solo and watching each other. It was just really nice. It was just a good, it was a good cooperative game. But yeah, she was the one who would often tell me, "You don't press your, you can, why are you pressing your guns to the screen?" I'm like, "Why you what? Pressing your, because uh, pressing my light gun because we, in addition to that, we did play duck hunt. I'm like, mm. because I can. It's like, can't you shoot it back to one? I don't wanna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because why should I? <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> So basically, I spent most of my ch- I spent all my time on the Super NES until much on the, on the NES, sorry, not the Super, playing three games. That was the, it was the sum of my experience. I really didn't get much in terms of other cartridges aside from what I rented, but I don't really remember what I would have rented. I might have tried some other stuff, but you know, my parents' favorite word was no. Sure. Mm-hmm. What parents don't choose that as their favorite word? <laughs> I don't know, but for some reason my mother never did say no when I rented Stephen King and other horror movies. Mm. She said no to video games, but not no to R-rated movies. Oh, because video games will rot your brain. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I'm 11 years old and I'm renting Stephen King. Nice parenting, Mom. <laughs> you, um, you mentioning pressing the gun against the screen reminds me of two things, I guess. Um... Well, the first thing it reminds me of is my playing Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers with my sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would always piss me off the way that whenever she would jump, whenever she made Mario jump, she would kind of bounce her hands up. Boing, boing. Have you ever known anyone to do that? No. I, mean, I, I knew a few people to do that. Whenever she would press the jump button, she would kind of bounce her hands up as well, as if she was, like, using a pinball machine to kind of... Make I them never jump did, a little bit yeah, higher. I never did that. My cousin never did that. It's a very common thing, apparently, because the other thing that you're pressing the gun against the screen reminds me of is something that I read um, in an interview with uh, Nintendo, a Nintendo engineer, when they were designing the Wii. They were watching video footage of how people play their games and not interested in what was happening on screen, but just watching them while they were sitting on the couch playing the games. And yeah. they would kind of do all of these gestures and movements and uh, exaggerations like that. And that's what gave them the idea for the um, motion controls on the Wiimote. I remember this, yeah. Which is great. I think that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. 
So that's kind of neat. So that, that was one of my earliest member, memories of the NES. Is that your, your primary memories of the NES? Yeah, it's just a lot of, uh, you know, it's just basic video games and uh, mostly just who I played with. <laughs> my mother never played with me. She was never big on video games. She watched once in a while, but never really took any explicit interest. Mm -hmm. Other than it was just a means of getting me out of her hair for a while. Right. Okay, well me... I don't remember where I tried the NES first of all, but I do remember renting it a few times. We There was a video store nearby and we would rent the console and maybe a game or two, either for a weekend or for a week. And uh, the game that I enjoyed the most, although I had rented Super Mario Brothers once or twice, the game that oh, I that's liked... Oh, right. I forgot. Super mm. Mario Bros. 3 we did have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I was just looking at this list, and I remember that we did have it. And once again, my cousin and I played it. And she was better at The Last World than I was, but... Mm. But, but it was still fun to play together. Yeah, The Last World is a tricky one. Mm. No, there's Castle and all that. Mm. Um, I tried to uh, keep the game console on. I was actually... I, we actually managed to succeed, and so I left it on. And I think somebody reset it for us. Oh. <laughs> You can only leave it on for so long. <laughs> so we rented uh, the console a bunch of times. The, my, the game that was my favorite was Disney's DuckTales. Uh, mm -hmm. and, I, <laughs> and I didn't even like the show that much. I don't know what it was about that game that attracted me to it. I did like Disney cartoons a lot, but mm -hmm. I never really cared about their shows. I liked their movies more and their uh, short films from the 1930s and 40s. Um, but this was a, a side-scrolling platform game where you play Scrooge McDuck. Who's like, he's like a, a feeble old man, but he has this cane. And he can hit objects with the cane and hit them into enemies or uh, slide them against the wall to make a, plat like a, a platform to jump on top of. Or he can jump in the air and use his cane like a pogo stick, even though it's a big wooden cane. <laughs> when he lands on the cane, it like curls up like a spring and then boing, boing, boing. So it's a game of like bouncing and whacking stuff. Um, it's a terrifically well-made platform game. It has a few different uh, locations you can go to. There's like Himalayas and the Amazon and Transylvania. And the idea is you want to amass more wealth for the already incredibly rich Scrooge McDuck to put into his gigantic uh, vault. And swim in, which... Yes, which is what he does. <laughs> swim through the coins. Uh, it's a terrific, really, really good game, and it stands up very well to this day. It's pretty difficult, I suppose, because you have to get through the whole game in a limited number of lives with a limited amount of health per life. Uh, loved it like crazy, though. And then uh, my uh, grandfather and my mom's dad surprised us all and bought a, he took us to Toys R Us, where we bought a uh, Nintendo, what do they call it, a control deck or something like that. The NES uh, console that came with Super Mario Brothers and DuckTales. And so after renting it a bunch of times, I played DuckTales obsessively until I finished it, and that didn't even uh, quell my enthusiasm for the game. I still finished it over and over and over. I love it to this day. And there's actually a very good uh, remake, a recent remake of DuckTales, which is kind of polluted with a million little conversational cutscenes, but thankfully you can skip them, and it has these awesome modern remixes of the original uh, music, and that was a game of terrific music especially the moon level theme. I think it was the last level of the game was the moon. Maybe you could choose it any time. No, it was the second last. It was another level like any other. There was a special 
level at the end, which I think uh, had you in Transylvania again. Anyway, great game. Um, and that's, I may have rented that. I don't remember. I, I, I it's pretty I frustrating, challenging. Yeah, I might have rented it once. I think that's what mm. happened with a lot of games. I rented them once, tried them, and returned them. I used to rent games all the time, most weekends. If I didn't rent a game, then I would go to a friend's house mm -hmm. who, was, who owned games I didn't have or was renting games. So I have a pretty good list of games here. I'm just going to speak briefly about each one. Um, and I should mention, by the way, we're only going to talk about the games that we played on the original hardware back in the day. We've since emulated a whole bunch of games, but mm -hmm. uh, that's not as relevant to the conversation. Yeah. This is the original experience. Yeah. There's one game I owned called Cabal. This was an arcade port. I think it was originally a Neo Geo game, and it's beautiful on Neo Geo. It's, it's very serviceable on the NES, and I played it a lot, and I was able to finish it, even though it's also a pretty challenging one. It's kind of a, it's a third-person game where you, um, uh, the camera is behind your your uh, soldier who is shooting up into the scene, and you can run behind some uh, cover which is destructible and usually gets destroyed pretty quickly. So you have to shoot foot, sol foot soldiers and helicopters and tanks and jeeps, and also um, you can shoot down the scenery. So uh, you can shoot down buildings and uh, trees and other structures with your machine gun and with your grenades. You had unlimited machine gun rounds and there were also limited time power-ups that would give you more powerful machine guns. One with a really fast fire rate and one with a wider and higher damage uh, like reticle. I really liked Cabal a lot and I was able to finish it with a lot of practice. We rented one called Athena I think my sister might have picked this, but I liked it a lot. Another kind of third-person side-scrolling uh, combat platformer. I guess what was unique about it was that you play like the goddess Athena, and she's wearing pink. So it was kind of neat to have a, a female protagonist, which I think was perhaps more prevalent back then than it might be today. So that was kind of unique for that reason. I rented and then owned and played at many friends' houses, Battletoads. You ever play Battletoads? Um, maybe. I don't think so. <laughs> Platforming and beat-em-up game? I doubt I did. I, uh, I really only stuck to one or two types of games, and mm. otherwise played the shit out of what I had. I did play Tetris on that, though. Oh, yeah. Tetris was kind of infamous, actually. Yeah, I Because there was uh, an unlicensed version that got sued out of existence. I think I played the unlicensed version because this was in the earlier 80s. I think it was and made was, by Tengen? Yeah. This was it, it was the one before, before the uh, second release. Okay, yeah, there was Tetris 2 and a few other yeah, iterations. This was, yeah. So we played that, and it just had the strangest music. Yeah, the music was all different. I didn't like it on Nintendo. I preferred it on Game Boy. We'll get there. Yep. I did play the Nintendo one. I found it strange, but the graphics were pretty. Yeah, it had better. It had nice colors. Um, so Battletoads. What are the names of the protagonists? There are three gigantic toads... Ribbit, Krug, and... <laughs> no, they're even better. Zitz, Rash, and... Uh... And I don't remember the name. Oh, this is going to piss me off. I'm going to look this up. Battletoads, Zitz, Rash, and Pimple. Of course! Those are awesome names for protagonists, aren't they? Um, uh, so, it was a beat-em-up game. It was unbelievably hard. Um... The, there were a few levels that were super, super unfair, and the only way to learn what to do was to die and then remember what killed you, because it was basically the exact same thing every time you played it. 
I think the most infamous level was one where you're on this kind of a speeder bike sort of a thing, side-scrolling, and you had to move up or down to dodge these uh, panels and rocks and walls that were in your way. Um, and it was a total memorization thing, or it became a total memorization thing of uh, between dodging the walls or jumping over a hole. And it got faster and faster and faster. In the end, it was extremely fast. And there was even a secret warp. There was like a series of 20 or so of these like walls that would alternate up, down, up, down, up, down. And uh, I think if you crashed into the fifth or the second one on purpose and there was a warp to a future level, but I was actually able to beat that thanks to uh, muscle memory. And that was one of those games where it was a, a co-op beat-em-up, but invariably, uh, just like with Doom, you accidentally hit your friend, and then he accidentally hits you back, and oh. then you, you punch each other until you're <laughs> totally dead, negating all the progress that you may have made. But I don't think anyone ever gets past even the first level without punching their teammate. <laughs> and I think it was one of those games where you could steal their lives, too, if you were all out of lives. You'd press start and steal the other guy's life and probably squander that as well. Of course. Of course. We owned a game called California Games, which was kind of similar to the old Epics and Accolade Olympic Games, but it was uh, so it was like a series of sporting events, but they were like California sporting events. So there was like mm. a BMX, uh, a BMX um, obstacle course where you would uh, go on a bike. It was kind of similar to Excite Bike. There was um, a hacky sack one where you would have to uh, kick a, a hacky sack kind of foot beanbag in the air and then like uh, flip your character around, like do a bunch of twists and stuff and uh, kick it uh, while facing forward and then do a little twirl and then kick it while facing backward. That was kind of neat. There's a skateboarding thing. I don't really remember what else there was, but that was a good game. Famous one is Contra, which probably everybody knows about. Yep. Side scrolling. I know, but, yeah, I know what it is now, but I didn't play it back in the day. Oh yeah, I, I played it extensively back in the day and uh, that was the where I learned about the Konami code. Maybe that was the first instance of the Konami code, for all I know. They gave you 30 lives. We were actually able to beat that game with 30 lives, but never without it. Never without the code. That's a great game. I rented one called Rad Racer, which uh, was a pretty good um, third-person, behind-the-car racing game. And its really unique feature was that it had a 3D mode, where it, I think it came bundled with... Uh, red, blue, cellophane 3D glasses, and you could play the game in 3D, and it looked really nifty, and it gave you a horrible headache and made you real queasy. Next on my list is one called Dragon Warrior, which is an RPG. Um, I think in Japan it, it was actually called Dragon Quest, and that is what the series has become here. They're up to, I don't know, like a dozen of those games or something. But the original Dragon Warrior was really, really good. Um where you walk around in an overworld and uh, can go into towns with ha which have shops and NPCs, and they give you they give you quests, but they don't have an exclamation mark over their head, and your quest isn't written down anywhere. You just remember that this person gave you a quest, and if you need a reminder, you could go talk to them again. But there was no quest log or anything like that. You would walk out into the overworld, and there would be random encounters, and depending on where you were in the overworld, there would be enemies of different skills. And there were... Uh, you could fight with swords or with magic or uh, with uh, potions or use uh, or um, consumables. That was a really good game, and I actually got that game for free thanks to some offer from Nintendo Power Magazine. And it wasn't the only game I got for free from Nintendo Power, which is really awesome. Especially good game, that one. Um, and it had good writing. It was kind of like old English writing. And even though it was a Japanese game, it was like impeccably localized with really creative... Uh, 
monster designs. So that was a good one. And it wasn't party-based, you were just a single guy, so that's something that I've always liked about RPGs as well. Um, you can buy a version of Dragon Warrior nowadays. I know you can get it on Android, I'm sure you can get it on iPhone as well. The original is only two or three bucks, and it has uh, revamped graphics. It looks pretty good, I haven't tried it, but I would recommend it if you've never played it before. So similar to Dragon Warrior was Final Fantasy, which I just played at a friend's house. It's the only one I ever really played, the very first Final Fantasy for the NES. And that's a party-based game. I think there were something like 10 or 15 different classes. You could build your own party based on characters of different classes. And I remember there was like Ninja and Mage and all of these like different uh, classes with different attributes and abilities and skills. That was a good game. Another, It was similar in description, I guess, to Dragon Warrior with uh, random encounters and stuff like that, I think. But it was uh, party-based combat um, and turn-based. I already mentioned Excite Bike as being similar to one of the levels in California games. I played this at a friend's house. I think this was made by Nintendo. And it's a really, really good game where you're on a, a bicycle and you have to get from the beginning of a racetrack to the end. And there are uh, obstacles and ramps and stuff like that. So the, uh, the challenge is to get there as fast as possible, and that usually involves not hitting an obstacle or going up a ramp and then angling your bike so that your, the angle of your bike is the same as the angle of the surface that you're landing on, otherwise it slowed you down. One that I rented was called Gunsmoke. This was an arcade port where you're a cowboy, you're walking around and you have uh, two guns, you know, you're dual wielding pistols, and you can shoot left by pressing A, right by sh pressing B, or shoot straight ahead by pressing both buttons. Um, I already We already talked about Blades of Steel. A game that came before that was one, I think it was by Nintendo, called Ice Hockey. This might have been a launch title. Um, you had two, uh, there were two opposing teams. Each team had three players. I don't think there was a goalie. Maybe there was. I don't remember. But you could choose whether your players, what, you, you had, uh, what was it? Maybe there was a goalie and two players. I don't know. But you could choose whether your players were skinny, fat, or average, which was cute. The skinny players went really fast, the fat players could hit really hard, and the average ones were in the middle. That was a good game. Never owned it. Played it a little. Um, related to um, Blades of Steel was a basketball game called Double Dribble, which was also made by Konami, and we made fun of the game as if people were drooling. Um, <laughs> the unique thing about that, it was a really good basketball game. I think it was a 2-1-2. But the cool thing about that was that it had these animations for when you did a slam dunk. It was basically like a slideshow, a rapid-fire slideshow of a really close-up, cool, graphical representation of uh, a player wearing your team's colors uh, dunking or failing to dunk. That was neat. Uh, I rented one uh, Joust, which was an arcade port. That's a fun game where uh, you're on these birds. You're a, a knight riding on a bird with a lance, and the birds... They look like ostriches, sort of, flying ostriches. Uh. I, I think I've shown you this one. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to bump into the NPC characters, and you have to be higher, your lines have to be higher than theirs. And if it is, then you knock them off their, their bird, and they kind of disappear, and the bird lays an egg. And you have to go pick up the egg before it hatches into the same kind of bird. So it's like you kill someone, and they shit out an egg, which will give birth to themselves. It's kind of a <laughs> metaphysical idea. Phoenix! Yes, I guess so. The Phoenix of Pooping. <laughs> and there's actually a really, really good World of Warcraft repeatable daily quest based on Joust. 
where uh, you have to kind of flat. There's like a flapping button, and uh, it's in 3D, and it's you can play it in either first person or behind your character. It's just awesome how well they recreated the Joust experience in 3D. Uh, I'm going to mention one briefly that I don't think I ever played, but it's a significant one, which is King's Quest V. And if I'm not mistaken, this might actually be the largest uh, Nintendo game in storage that was ever created. It was published by Konami, which is interesting, even though it's a Sierra game. And it's the whole point-and-click adventure game that you know from, uh, that you know from uh, the computer. But they squeeze it onto an NES cartridge, which is cool. I know that um, our friend from Twitter, Rizalka, uh, this was the first Sierra game she ever played. And it's supposed to be a pretty good one. I read on Wikipedia that King's Quest V was actually censored in many ways to meet Nintendo's uh, publication guidelines. You're not allowed to have any mentions of God or religion in a Nintendo game. And there was like a scene where you're in the desert and you're drinking in an oasis and you call it the Nectar of the Gods. And they had to rephrase uh, that for the Nintendo version because you can't say that. Um, and another example of Nintendo censoring stuff, by the way, was um, the kind of the international symbol for health or a, a, a uh, hospital is like the Red Cross symbol, a plus sign, basically. But yeah. because it's a cross... Nintendo wouldn't allow that on their console, so they replaced it with the uh, symbol of a red heart. So that's why you see so many red hearts in uh, Nintendo games. Well, I understand, you know, for their own game, but what? I just don't think, I think it's silly that they did it for the C. Do -do -do -do. <laughs> Sorry for the uh, little uh, break in continuity there. Audacity just crashed on us, which is obnoxious, but luckily it actually saved pretty much the whole thing. So hopefully there's no glitches in the recording. Yeah. It's going to sound a little awkward, but we didn't lose anything, which I was going, oh, no, please don't make me record two hours of content all over again. I know. I'm already sick of my voice. <laughs> well, anyway, Bianca was uh, was mentioning that it was strange that Nintendo would uh, censor other third-party games and not just their own. So um, I was going to say that you had to license your game in order to have it published on a Nintendo. Mm -hmm. Uh, entertainment system, and there was this uh, gold star logo that they would put on the front of a box that said licensed by Nintendo or oh, yes, approved by that. Nintendo of America, something like that. Um, and if uh, you bought a game that didn't have that, that seal on it, then uh, it probably it meant that it was an un, a, uh, I don't know, it meant that it wasn't licensed, it wasn't approved by Nintendo, and it was uh, like a knockoff product. And uh, in Nintendo Power Magazine, they actually had a thing that said, if you ever find any products for the Nintendo Entertainment System that don't have the Nintendo seal of authenticity on it, then write us and let us know. I actually wrote them once because I found an ad in another magazine, GamePro or something, um, for a joystick that did not, and the ad didn't have the Nintendo seal of approval on it. And I guess I was such a fanboy that I actually wrote to Nintendo about it, and I uh, photocopied the ad, and I put that into the letter. And I remember to this day, uh, it said, instead of saying that it was licensed by Nintendo, it was licensed by the One-Handed Popcorn Eaters Association of America. Which <laughs> is <laughs> such a weird thing that I remember to this day, 20 years later. That is bizarre, but it's memorable. That's right. So Nintendo really had an iron grip on licensing for their games. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's what, I don't know the details, but that was part of their downfall of how I think the PlayStation and the Xbox ate their lunch. Yeah. Because they were a little bit more lax about those requirements. Yep. Um, so what else have you uh, 
played in this long, illustrious history. Pardon my, I'm very sorry for this long, long list. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up the pace a little bit. Mm -hmm. Where was I? Super Spike V-Ball, I own this one. I played this a couple of weeks ago, too, and it's as much fun as ever. Beach volleyball game, where the uh, unique feature is the way that you can spike the ball. It's two-on-two -two beach volleyball. If you... There's a jump button and a hit button, and if you tap the jump button really fast, your hand starts to glow. So if you hit the ball while your hand is glowing, then you do the super spike, which can knock the opponent on their back, and it makes this kaboom comic book kind of a word appear on the screen. But you can also block by jumping in the air uh, on the opposing side team, and if you tap your block button, like your jump button really fast, then your hands start to glow, and you can do like a super block. So that was a fun game. Uh, Life Force was a Konami shoot 'em up game. Uh, Pew Pew Space Shooter game. It was good. It was hard. Konami Code Works. Oh, this list is so long. Cobra Triangle was a boat combat and maze kind of a game. Mega Man, I'm not going to talk about. I was never the biggest fan of Mega Man. Punch Out. I owned Mike Tyson's Punch Out later on, I think, when Mike Tyson was uh, was uh, had a, re uh, a uh, questionable reputation. They took his name off of it and made him the game just Punch Out and took out Mike Tyson, who was the last enemy. That's a great game, though, Punch Out. Mm -hmm. RBI Baseball. I think that was a Konami game. It was a a Japanese baseball game. Very good baseball game. I love a baseball game that only has two buttons. Nowadays, baseball games have a million buttons. Ugh. Not that they come out for PC anymore, so I haven't played one probably since PS2. Mm -hmm. But that was a, an excellent game. And I seem to remember RBI Baseball had... It was all a bunch of, you know, regular professional-looking teams, but one of the teams was called the Lovely Ladies, and they wore <laughs> pink, and they were a female, all-women baseball team. That was really cool. Uh, there were two Simpsons games that I played, and I hated them like crazy because they were horrible. Mm -hmm. Bart versus the Space Mutants and Bart versus the World. Did you ever play these? Um, I'm trying to think. I doubt I would because I had a uh, prohibition on watching The Simpsons when I was younger. Uh, Doesn't mean it stopped me. I mean, my cousin gave me all the information I needed to watch it on my own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Help me circumvent my parents' retarded rules. Oh, my parents were the same way with Married with Children. They wouldn't let me watch that one. It was a bad influence. Oh, um, everything's a bad influence. I know. Well, these games, these Bart games were horrible. They just had really terrible controls. You were Bart on a skateboard, and I think anything killed you. It was like Bart versus monsters and aliens and stuff. It was re they were really crappy. I hated them. They, it's rare to find a good uh, Simpsons game from around, from like that 10-year period. Smash TV, arcade ports, not that great on NES. was better on Super Nintendo. Spy Hunter, arcade port, fun one. Oh, the birds are being cute. Hi, birdies. Um, Star Tropics. Uh, Trolls mentioned that in his voicemail. And I believe uh, Francisco mentioned playing that uh, in the not-too-distant uh, not past. It's like an adventure, kind of a Zelda sort of a game. I use the word adventure, but I mean like action-adventure, um, action RPG even, where uh, the unique thing is that your weapon is a yo-yo, your main weapon. And so you hit enemies with your yo-yo. And there are a bunch of jumping puzzles, but they aren't like you have to aim your jump. It's more like a Qbert sort of a thing where you're guaranteed to land on something. You just have to make sure you land in the right square. That's a great game. I never finished it. I should. Ah, long list. Almost done. Strider. Okay, Strider is another kind of an action RPG sort of a game. Um, I played it and finished it uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. That's as good as ever. It's based on an arcade game, but it's very different than the arcade game. It's more of a story-based thing. Mm. Tecmo Bowl is football, whatever. 
uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there were two games. There were three games, actually. The first game was ex extremely hard. There was a weird overworld sort of a thing where you're riding around in the turtle mobile, whatever it's called, the big van. Or there was side uh, view, uh, jumping around, punching guys, or chopping guys kind of a thing. Very hard. I didn't like it very much, but it had great music. Uh, Ninja Turtles 2 was a, was a clone of the arcade game, which was okay, but not the best. Ah, okay, this list is too long. I'm uh, going to truncate it. Okay, do you mind if I skip to the one game I do? I kind of, I kind of remember. Yeah, please. I'm so sick of my voice. <laughs> yeah, cause I, I tried it a couple of times. It wasn't bad, but I wasn't particularly good at these games when I was younger. I still wanted to play anyways because it's fun. Mm -hmm. It was a Tiny Toons Adventure ver game, and it was just as colorful as the show. And you were, um, I'm not. I forget what the uh, what the uh, boy rabbit's name was. I think he was like a little bugs or something. Buster. Buster. Yeah. Thank you. I can't believe you remembered that night. I know. Anyway, so you got to play as Buster, and you were just a rabbit, and you hopped through everything. It was cute. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, yes, I just remembered this Sega Genesis game while I was looking at this list. So, But, yeah, it's not Tiny Toons. One of the ones I did rent a couple of times. It wasn't too bad, but not. But it was kind of difficult. Well, then again, what Nintendo game wasn't difficult, aside from Mario's Missing. Mm -hmm. I never played that one. Although I love the cartoon Tiny Toons. Yep. Alright, um, I'm going to describe a couple more and I'll just read off the list. So the other ones I have on my list are Twin B, uh, Micro Machines, and um, Afterburner, which is an arcade port, which wasn't bad at all, actually, and I wrote into Nintendo Power Magazine with an Easter egg, and they published it, which was really cool. My first time being published in a magazine uh, for Afterburner, how to get to the sound test. It was, uh, you hold B or something at the... Uh, as you turn it on. Um, and the last game I will mention is Anticipation, which is kind of a Pictionary game. It's a really good one. I love Anticipation. Whew. Okay, the last thing I'll mention about the Nintendo Entertainment System is the Game Genie. Did you ever play with the Game Genie? No, I didn't. We rented it. We never owned one. It was kind of um, a hex editor for... Uh, it, yeah, it was this weird like intermediary sort of a thing. It was a cartridge but it was like a half-height cartridge, and it had another cartridge port on top of it with like a plastic uh, backing. So you would plug the Game Genie into your Nintendo, and then you plug your uh, game into the Game Genie. And it let you cheat in games. It came with a book which had a whole bunch of codes for uh, tons and tons of games, and it would be something like it would freeze the number of lives you have, or it would freeze your health so you could play with God Mode, or it would change all the Mario's into... All the Koopas into Mario heads or stuff like that. It was it was really neat, fun way to uh, get some more enjoyment out of your games. Uh, okay, uh, this is tedious. <laughs> Let's talk about the original Game Boy, shall we? Okay. You oh. want to go first? Sure, I'll be happy to go first, and I'll start off with a story. Please. Yeah, I got the original Game Boy when I was quite young. It was actually a Christmas present for my father because my parents were divorced and. What better way to win your kids' love? Just no, not knocking dad or anything, but just being sarcastic here. But what better way to win your kids' love than getting them a handheld uh, video game to stick it to the uh, ex-wife? <laughs> mm -hmm. So, uh, turns out Mama, my mom also got me a couple of games for it as well. There was a coordinated effort. Mm -hmm. So, I got the original Game Boy from my parents. Unfortunately, 
it didn't survive. What happened was, it died on me when I was 14 years old. March break. Yeah. March break when I was 14. 1996. It died on me. No, March 1997. March break 1997, I was 14. It died on me in California. I got some money, and uh, my mother wouldn't replace it because my mother didn't want it. She didn't care. Though it wasn't that she didn't play my Game Boy when we were camping. So I had to uh, replace it myself out of pocket. And this is back when the Canadian dollar was against the, uh, against the uh, green bag. Mm -hmm. So I uh, went into whatever funds I brought. So I actually had some money on me. I saved up in my little kitty cat piggy bank. And I uh, bought myself the original Game Boy Pocket, the silver edition. Very sleek little handheld. So It was smaller than the original, right? The screen was the same size, mm -hmm. but the actual size of the console itself was significantly compact. Which is nice because it's a big, fat, bulky one. Right? Oh, it's so beautiful. and it un But unfortunately, it took AAA batteries. Mm -hmm. But everything else worked the same. So all my con so all my cartridges, which I bought in Canada, worked in my U.S. bought uh, console. Hmm. So there we go. Just an, an example of... Uh, Pardon me, where the cross-border games work between Canada and the U.S. Mm -hmm. Just yeah, that's a great thing. I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that console was actually, I liked the uh, way it felt. It had a nicer feel, and it was much lighter weight than the original. I had big hands, so the ori I, I like the original. It fit well in my hands. Yeah, I like the pocket because I have small hands. But it still held the additional hardware, which was the magnifying glass and light. Which still made the console weigh a ton, but oh, did it? That fit on your Game Boy Pocket? Yeah. Because mm. it was it wasn't any size bigger. It's the actual depth and the weight of it that was different. Right. Oh, that's really something. Yeah, I had I had something like that too. Maybe even the same one. It was like an all-in-one thing that would clip onto the front of your Game Boy, and uh, right next to the screen was a light because this this machine didn't have a backlight at all. So you had to play it in light or in the sun, or you just couldn't see it. Yeah, or you, uh, you know, waited for those few seconds of uh, blissful uh, street lights in the middle when because you, your parents wanted to travel at night. Mm -hmm. Or um, you, uh, you improvised and took a camp, or you took your, uh, your camp light, you know, your camp right. flashlight. <laughs> and it had a magnifying glass hovering over top of it as well, and you had to look at your, so you had to hold it in front of you at just the right angle, otherwise you couldn't see your screen properly. Yep. And it did make it look a lot bigger, but it was a very unwieldy, ridiculous thing. And then it. Um, kind of folded in and collapsed so that it sort of looked like a screen protector when you were done, right? Yeah. That was really cool It design. was awesome. I didn't actually own it. I borrowed it from my cousin, who brought two, unlike me, had two handheld consoles at the time. That and her Game Gear, so she let me borrow that. That was cool. Ah, yeah, I owned it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I had uh, both the original and then the subsequent Pocket Edition. But in terms of games, I didn't have that many games, but I had a few games. Where, where, where some? Well, of course, I had Tetris, which came with the original. I also had Tetris mm. 2, which was... Uh, I think Tetris was the best-selling video game of all time at that point, because mm -hmm. it came bundled with... Uh, yeah, so I really loved the first Tetris. I was so I was really good at it. I could pass uh, the, type B, the Type B round on, nine, on level 9, row 5 height. I think I could, too. I could pass it multiple times. I think you and I are pretty close in our ability. My highest level ever reached in Tetris, I think, was... Oh, yeah, way higher than me. I 
think it was like 140 or something. Yeah, I think I got to like 90 or 100. Yeah, but not 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 not, and I actually did better in, in a, a variation on Tetris as well. And despite the relatively lousy screen on the Game Boy, that game was very playable. I guess because blocks only moved like one square at a time, and it wasn't smooth scrolling. Exactly. Because it had a lot of ghosting. Like if something would disappear, then it would kind of fade out slowly, relatively mm -hmm. poor refresh rate on the LCD. Yeah, and then similar to that was Yoshi's Cookie, another uh, touch type game, but. It involved more of the rotating of the cookies to line up before you got more rows of cookies to match. It was an it was an extension of the Mario franchise, but instead of being Mario, Mario and Yoshi worked together. And Yoshi was it was his cookies. And Mario was just like the hapless baker. He was like a secondary character. <laughs> there was a, a multiplayer mode allowing actually four players to connect. If you had the three cables, you could connect mm. four people to play together at once because there was a because there were four. Uh, players. The Luigi, Mario, Princess Peach, and Bowser. But they all have, what was interesting is that they did have slightly unique strengths and weaknesses in that. Hmm. Um, it's weird that Mario's a baker. I kind of hope he washed his hands after he came home from his plumbing job. <laughs> well, you think he would, seeing as how he's also a doctor. Ah, I really hope he washes his hands. <laughs> I think I better walk out, walk around with like a barrel of hand sanitizer. Course, <laughs> course. So yeah, I played that and Tetris Two. That was an interesting one because it had um, some more clearing mechanics. I know Brian never really got into it, but I loved it because well, I didn't have that many games to begin with. That was the one where you had like different colored blocks within shapes. Yeah, I remember it being advertised. It mm -hmm. sounded like one layer of complexity too many to me. Yep, I liked it. There's like Columns meets Tetris, sort exactly. of. Exactly. Columns is a, a Genesis game, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. Mm. It was actually an arcade game first. True, it was an arcade game, but in terms of consoles, for our purposes, it's right. a Genesis game. Mm. Then, of course, I also had Super Mario Land and Super Mario Land 2, six coins. You can't forget the full title of it, can we? <laughs> All right, that's the bunny ears one? Oh, that's where Mario eats a carrot and turns into a rabbit. Yeah, and you and instead of flying through Tanuki Tail, you fly with like little rabbit ears on your head. So he's like a he's a furry, in addition to being a doctor, baker, butcher, uh, and flamer, huh? And flamer. And flamer? Yeah, I guess he's a flamer. <laughs> <laughs> so these ones were also very fun. I never. I, Surprisingly, I had I couldn't finish I couldn't defeat the last boss in Super Mario Land the first one, but I did defeat Wario in the second one. Oh, is Wario the enemy? Yeah. Ah, it's Wario's really castle that you go into, and the six coins that you get are the ones that open the door. Hmm. Oh, and this was one with really good level design. Like every level was like each each area was very different. It was quite distinct. So unlike Mario for Super for Nintendo, this one had six very distinct. Areas and it didn't, and it wasn't just a side scroller because you had a top level map, kind of like Super Mario World or Super Nintendo. Or three, I guess. Uh, yeah, or three. Hmm. You had a top level map and you could go between. So if you got stuck on one level, you could go and try another area. And so you weren't stuck having to proceed sequentially, uh, chronologically. You could, it was actually quite open, which was nice. Oh, that's good. So if you were stuck on perhaps the macro level, you could then go and do the pumpkin level. <laughs> Everything was in a pumpkin. Hmm. It was uh, like the kind of haunted pumpkin area. 
Yeah. There's a whole space area. So you got a scenario in a spacesuit and a helmet. And when you got your rabbit, when you got your carrot, you flew, you, you not only bounced in space, but you flew with rabbit ears in space and bounced at the same time. As rabbits do. <laughs> and what was interesting about that level was it actually mimicked gravity. So you had to control, it took a whole different level of control because you weren't swimming, you were actually floating through space, so you kind of bounced. Oh, cool. It, that level, it was just like super low gravity? Yeah, it was hmm. one of the hardest levels I ever played when in uh, console games. But I learned to pass it because you figure out that as long as you have reasonable control, you may not necessarily get a lot of coins, but you can get through it if you're able to anticipate um, the spikes that would come up hmm. in the moon world. There was also a tree level, which was fun. You killed this big bird on top of the tree. Uh, there was a turtle level that was fun. It was your sea world. Um, trying to remember what else. Oh yeah, you actually had like a uh, mechanic level where you uh, went into like different levels of machinery, and your and the whole level was like represented by a giant Mario, mm -hmm. and it was like clockworks. Oh, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Jeez, they really packed in a lot of creativity and. The second variability. one was, yeah, the second one was really interesting. Had a lot of varied mechanics, and yeah, I did pretty well in it. It was one of my favorites. Oh, yeah, that's cool. And it got stolen from me. Oh. But I replaced it. I was like, screw this. I love this game. Hmm. Uh, one of you things got stolen from me, including I got a book stolen from me once in high in school, in the middle of class when my back was turned. Oh. Teacher was sympathetic. Kids made fun of me. Oh. And you wonder why I hate people. <laughs> Yeah, people are dicks. Mm -hmm. What else did we do? Oh yeah, I have I had Nero baseball. It's hmm. it's a little strange. It was a top down. You could pretty you pretty job hitting the ball. I <laughs> didn't play very well at it. I could get my guys on base, but I often lost to the computer because this was one of those trickier games. But yeah, you're Mario when you're playing baseball. Oh yeah, so there you go. He's also an athlete. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Once again, I hope he washes hands. <laughs> He's got like placenta stuck in his in his baseball glove. Ew. <laughs> yeah. Um, mentioned that I used to play uh, games of this cousin of mine. Well, I also borrowed a video game from her called Kirby's Pinball. That was fun. Hmm. I never played that one. Yeah, it was a nice one. I only played it a few times. I just remember being Kirby and blinging around really fast. Mm hmm. That's all that matters. Is it was fun. And of course, Kirby's Dream Land. Which I initially borrowed from a friend of mine and eventually got my own copy. But yeah, that one is one I finished. and I love that game so much. Mm -hmm. It's a really easy game. I know. Relatively. And then when you finish it, you get it tells you how to get to like the new game plus, which is extra hard. Mm -hmm. I never cared to do that. It was I just did. so pleasurable. I, I got pretty far in the second version. Oh, really? I, could, I never cared to. I tried to because I'm like... I love this game, and then I'm like, there's got to be more content. I want more, 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 more. Was there more content? I thought it was just the same, but harder. It was the same, but it had the spike balls everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you had to be careful with those. That game had amazing music. Uh, it has great music. Beautiful music. That so, game was like zen uh, meditation for me. I just was so at peace playing Kirby's Adventure. Mm -hmm. Beautiful game. Oh, reading this list makes me want to dig up my Game Boy Pocket and mm -hmm. uh, play it. What else? Uh, I don't recognize anything else on this list. Looks like it's mostly your stuff now. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll go through my list quickly then, because we had a lot of overlap anyway. Um, yeah. Okay, Tennis. I think this is a game made by Nintendo. 
This is one of, this was one of the first games. Oh, before I talk about the games, I guess I should say that I don't really remember the story of how I got my Game Boy. I think I played uh, I think I played uh, Game Boy uh, belonging to my good uh, elementary school school friend Todd, who lived up the street from me, and his dad was some crazy engineer who built a huge um, telescope observatory with like a big dome, and you could like look at the astronomical uh, phenomena like sunspots and stuff through it. That was crazy. I think it actually had like a rotating motorized uh, telescope dome for looking at different areas of the sky. It was crazy. So Todd had cool stuff often. A lot of homemade stuff, but uh, a lot of technology too, and the Game Boy was one of them. It must have been his Game Boy that I played first and then got my own. My parents would have gotten it for me, I'm sure. So tennis was a very, very good game. I love tennis video games. I've always liked Virtua Tennis and stuff like that as well. But this was probably the first one that I played in earnest. Um, I once found a used version of tennis, uh, which I bought for a friend who was having a hernia operation. This was in this was in elementary or high school. It must have been in high school. Um, so yeah, I remember biking over to his house all worried because he was about to go for surgery, and then he was fine. And he didn't play the game at all, and then I was kind of annoyed at him for not playing the game that I bought for him for, like, $7. Anyway, uh, what else do we have? F1 Race, which I've talked about before on the podcast. This was the game that came with the four-player adapter that uh, I believe you could use in Yoshi's mm -hmm. Cookie. So it came. It, the Game Boy itself came with uh, one link cable, which allowed you to play two players, one versus the other, if you each had a Game Boy. Or if you had this four-player adapter, then everyone would bring their own link cable and plug it into this little square hub. F1 Race was pretty good. It was a lot like Pole Position. Final Fantasy Adventure was a very good Zelda-style game. It wasn't like the other Final Fantasy games. Um, much more like a Zelda game. I like this one very, very much. I got way into it. I got pretty far into it. And it has the honor of being the only console game I have ever played where the saved game got glitched. I like got stuck inside of a, a solid object. <laughs> And there was no way for me to get out of it, and I lost all my progress. Oh, that sucks. That does suck. I loved that game like crazy. I think I bought that game used at the same store that I got uh, tennis for my friend. Um, Zelda. I was just playing this, and I don't remember the name of the Zelda game for Game Boy now. But it's excellent. It's absolutely excellent. You, um, It's very, very similar to A Link to the Past for Super Nintendo. But because the controller has fewer buttons, you have to do some more juggling around with your inventory and what's the active usable item. But I highly recommend the, the Zelda game. Mm -hmm. I had Terminator 2, the arcade game for my Game Boy. This was a game where in the arcade it had like a great big gun that you would hold and point at the screen. It sucked on Game Boy, and it, I don't know what I was expecting, but I didn't like it very much. It really, if you're going from having a huge gun to having... A and B start selecting now. Four directional gamepad, like four directional thumbpad. What are you gonna get? Yeah, you just move the cursor around the screen and kill the little like whack a moles as they popped up. It was horrible. Um, Todd had a game, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Fall of the Foot Clan. Uh, I love that game. I would beg him to play it, and I think I even finished it like over recess or something. Um, it. I went back to play it on emulator, and it's horrible. The only thing that's unique about it, I guess, is that. Your playable character is actually quite tall. It's a great big sprite on screen, so it's pretty detailed and it looks nice. And the last game I'll mention, I'm only mentioning, I didn't play it, and I guess it's exceptional that I didn't play it, which is Pokemon. I don't, I didn't know what Pokemon was until I was into high school and not really playing Game Boy games anymore. But 
is just exceptional that that was probably the most famous Game Boy game after Tetris. Yeah. So it's exceptional that it did play. I didn't play it either, but I, I, I think I might have looked at it, but it just didn't interest me, which is surprising. Oh, that's right. When it was probably out, I wasn't even into anime, so. Hmm. Alright, so that's it for the original Game Boy. Oh, look at that fucking Nintendo list. Why don't you go ahead and talk about... You have two consoles that you can talk to that I can't really know. So why don't you go ahead and discuss sure, those? Sure, I guess I can do that. Moving into Sega. The, now I'm, I'm pretty sure that... Uh, some people probably know this as Sega Mega Drive, but for uh, us here, it's Sega Genesis. And not, and I had the, uh, the second model. It was a Christmas present. It was the... Um, <laughs> once again, one of those where you get I get one thing and I immediately get the... Uh, other the competing version. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the year I, I think one or two, I think I got Super Nintendo one year, and next year I got Sega Genesis. Mm -hmm. From the other parents. Yeah. Yeah. So my mother is the one who got me the Sega Genesis. It was the second model, the three button one. So I only had I, in a game with one controller, and yet, funnily enough, I had two player. I had all the games I had were two player. Yeah. So what did I have? Sonic Two, Columns. The original Columns, which was so much fun, loved it, played it to death, aka as my cousin would, as my cousin called it, Colossus. <laughs> <laughs> the same cousin who calls our Conyer. The Condor. Uh huh. <laughs> nice, really nice girl. Just we love you, Andrea. She's awesome. Yeah. I don't get it. She's I don't know if she does it on purpose or if it's just an attention to detail sort of a thing. Because she is an especially clever, smart, quick-witted person. She just calls shit by the wrong name. <laughs> I think it's having to do with how she was raised. Because they have some stupid name for the remote control in their house. Oh, really? Yeah. What do they call the remote control? I don't remember. It was some really weird... Uh, I think it was like the click box or something. The click box. <laughs> we called it the clicker. I've never heard the click box. I, I like that. That's pretty catchy. <laughs> anyway, so I had Sonic 2 because that's what it came with. And I got an additional game. And I got two more... Actually, this was... I got three games the same year I got Sega Genesis, which was pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. so it came with Sonic. We got Columns, the first one, which, which is the best one as far as I'm concerned. Screw the other Columns games. The first one is the best one and the only game that you should ever play if you're playing Columns as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, there were several Columns games, weren't there? Yeah, but the first one was the best one. It had the best music, the best graphics, the best control, mm. and the best-looking gems. Yeah, I remember you. Uh, I showed you the um, arcade ROM. Of the original columns for the arcade, mm -hmm. and it's much higher resolution and higher detail and more colors. But you still prefer the the Genesis one, huh? Yeah, and fair enough. So Sonic was one of my favorite ones, columns, and I had a Disney game of all things for Genesis. Mm -hmm. World of Illusion, starring Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. Oh, this was like a famous game for being really, really good, as I recall. Am oh, I yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And what was weird about this was that. You jumped, but to take out enemies, you would swing your cape, and it would like these little magic, which is these magical sparkles would spooge out your cape, and they would like turn your enemies into something passive. You say would spooge? Yes. Thanks. Or yeah, you, so you would do, and to create platforms, you would swing your cape, and these leaves would butt out, and you would do, and you jump on these leaves, and sometimes you had to jump and swing your cape at the same time nice. to, to get other leaves to come out. Or you would turn enemies into mushroom mu mushrooms that you could jump onto and uh, climb up. Okay. And to defeat enemies, you would you just wave your cape at them several times. Hmm. And then just get through. It was, but it was some levels that got trickier, but it was pretty fun. And it was a two-player. It had a two-player mode where you 
played cooperatively. So you, so you, so what you could you could attack your uh, opponent, but not really to hurt them. You would uh, swing your cape at them, and they would just kind of uh, get they did they just get that stuck in place for a moment. Nothing to hurt them. Right. I'm sure that was a requirement of Disney. Did you play any of the other Disney games on no. Genesis? There were several. Yeah, I think the I, two most famous ones were The Lion King and Aladdin. I think I tried those, yeah. I thought they were really hard on Genesis. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, I guess maybe contradicting what I just said, in the Aladdin version for Genesis, you run around swinging a sword at people like a, cim a scimitar. Yeah. Which is very different from the, the movie. Yeah. Well, and from the movie. Yeah. You, I mean, you don't... Then again, you don't even uh, really do in, in the Nintendo one. You're kind of st you're not even doing much like the movie anyway. Um, I would actually argue that the Super Nintendo one was closer to the movie. In some ways, because it's yeah. a little more like about dexterity and platforming and jumping on people's heads and riding magic carpets. Whereas, mm -hmm. what little I played of the Genesis version, as you running around chopping people with swords. Yeah. So this one with. World of Illusion mm. was that uh, you had this, you had the cape, and would, and instead of doing some 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 stuff, you would normally just uh, platform your way up. But then, if you slipped, your character would sometimes cling, and then your and then your friend would help you up, and so you would do like this kind of chain effect. Oh, that's of, cool. Of getting each other through, and so that in this way, there were kind of opposite routes you could take if you had two player. Ah, and Disney games had amazing animation. Really beautiful, great very smooth, and nice detail. Mm -hmm. and Lots was, of frames. Yeah, it was side scrolling, and but not, uh, but not for side scrolling. Mm -hmm. But and uh, so, it would and it would keep both characters on the screen at the same time, mm -hmm. which was nice. Um, Sonic Two had a second had a two player option where you could be Tails, and everyone hated Tails. Tails, yes, yeah, Tails sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. What's the point of this? I only had one controller. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It only came with one controller. Yeah, and so I did a lot of these two-player games, single-player. Mm. Played columns excessively. I remember being level 250 on Christmas, and my mother tells me, this is like a couple years after I got console, my mom tells me, come on up, because our house was upside down, naturally. What do you mean? Bedrooms were in the basement. Living room was the main level. Hmm. And above us for the neighbors. Oh, uh, okay. That's strange. Mm-hmm. What they call a terrace home? It'd be nice to have your uh, bedrooms in the basement. It'd stay nice and cool in the summer. Yeah, and nice and cold in the winter, too. Oh, I see. <laughs> and so I was on level 250, so I had to put my game down and come upstairs for oh, dinner. Oh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. So we we passed the controller back and forth for this one, and no one else seemed to be doing as well as I did at Columns. Hmm. I'm sure not as good. My brain doesn't work that way. I don't have the practice. Columns is weird because it's like your pieces are all vertical. Yep, they're vertical, but you can switch their position. Yeah, you have to match. It's a match three game, right? You can, it's vertical. Three or four. Three. Okay. But you can turn it sideways or or horizontal or vertical. Oh, you can turn your piece sideways. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. You can turn your piece sideways. You can, uh, because you can let gems fall. Why would it be called columns if you can change it, if you can rotate it sideways? I'm Sorry to nitpick. I'm <laughs> not I remembering this correctly, but I know that you could definitely do it vertically. But you could change, yeah, but you could definitely change the position of the gems in the uh, colored block so you could line them up. 
Mm -hmm. Oh, you couldn't turn it sideways, but you could do diagonal magic. That was it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say kind of like Dr. Mario is halfway between Tetris and Columns, right? Yeah. Tetris 2 was kind of in the middle between that. Oh, uh, yeah, that too, in a different way. Yeah. And, another, and then here we go. Once again, for this console, we have another one of my mom's boyfriend buys a video game and doesn't play it. <laughs> this was F-15 Eagle Strike 2. Strike Eagle. Strike Eagle 2, yeah. Uh, he didn't play it. I wound up playing it, and I did pretty well, actually. After eventually figuring out the physics, this will be the first and last flight simulator I ever played, as far as the two, at least right now. And it's a flight simulator on a three-button digital controller. Yep. Which is interesting. So not only does it not have a joystick, it just has like a directional pad where you're either going left or you're not. There's you can no go middle. up and down with the... Uh, I mean, you can go up, down, left, right, but you're either going totally to the left or right, or you're not... Or you're, it's in the middle. There's no, like, incremental yeah. nuance movement. And it only has three buttons on the gamepad, right? Yeah. And But the, the, the start button is separate, so... Yes. Oh, I'm sure that I commands too. But, I mean... Yeah. It's a very limited control scheme for a very complicated genre of games. So that's an impressive yeah. feat. But what was nice is the controller felt nice in my hands. It had nice, rounded, soft edges. Mm-hmm. And it had it was a little big, but it didn't. But because but because of its uh, soft edges, it didn't feel as clunky as the uh, NES controller. And it was nicer in some ways to the Super NES controller, mm -hmm. just because it it sat more more evenly in your hands. And because of its height, you could. You oh didn't yeah, it was kind of like boomerang shaped a little bit, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a little more ergonomic than the Super Nintendo one. Yeah, and because the buttons were in a row, it was easy to press them rather than having to go up and down. Hmm. Was the comp, which was a feature of the Super Super NES control, which was closer to the Jarvis pa Jarvis pad, which Jarvis Jarvis pad, which I did have with the, but uh, my thumb button naturally broke. <laughs> oh, you had that you had that joystick that gamepad too for your computer. Yeah. Oh wow, I didn't know that. I had it because my dad bought the Grand Prix for our uh, Pentium One Sixty Six. Ah. I played it more than he did. Mm. <laughs> I uh, commandeered the computer and got into my bedroom. <laughs> Ah, beautiful. I nice. never had that. That's lucky. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. So is that everything you played on? Oh, you didn't you didn't mention the first game on your list. Sonic 2. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. And once, I know, it was one of these games where it would have been nice to have two players just for the bonus levels where you competed on a racetrack to pick up the most coins and dodge the bombs. Was that like a split screen sort of a thing? Yes. That had a weird split screen, right? Where if one person was ahead of the... It was like the, the same level on the top and on the bottom. Yeah. But one person could run further ahead than the other. Yeah. Yeah. It's rare that you see split screen split on top, up, down, instead of left, right. Um, but it, it I suits a fast Mario game. I did that. Top, down. Oh, maybe it does. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. I hate split screen, but that's mm -hmm. not bad. Yeah. But yeah, Genesis had great colors. Most of the games I played had excellent graphics. The... The F-15 Strike Eagle was just one of those that didn't have the best graphics, but it was still pretty. It was still pretty cool for its time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember showing Brian the first time and handing him the controller and saying, "Have fun." Oh, and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, Blades of Steel and F-15 were two games that I wound up playing, even though they were meant for uh, <laughs> my mother's common-law husband slash boyfriend slash whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see, and then along the, and further in the Sega family is the Game Gear. Um, this was my cousin's thing. I borrowed it from her on road trips because it was common for uh, the family 
to uh, do road trips like this. So my mother, my aunt, who is my cousin's mother, and my cousin and I would be crammed into this car. My cousin and I naturally in the back seat because well, why should the children get to, you know, sit in a nice front seat? <laughs> and so, uh, so we, so I would borrow her Game Gear on those trips, and I got to play Sonic on it. So that was the the Sega portable system, yeah, which was different from the Nintendo Game Boy. Oh, the color screen! At the time, it just blew my mind. The colors were amazing. I mean, who would have sure. thought that you know you could get colors in a handheld game? And it was once again a big. It was pretty big, but it wasn't too unwieldy. It was big enough that. Uh, you, it would make your hands tired eventually, but not because it was an awkward shape, but just because it was heavy and you're, you got kid hands. Hmm. But yeah, that but that was a um, battery gobbler. That thing. How many batteries did it take? Four double A's. Mm -hmm. So did the original Game Boy. True, but it didn't. But it ate batteries faster than the original Game Boy. Yeah. And of course, if you were lucky enough. My grandmother always has the cheapest fucking batteries. It's like, did you go to the dollar store or something? Really, how the hell did you manage to get these cheap batteries? I always, I tried to, when you, you know, when you're playing your game, when you're playing your handhelds, you want to buy the best batteries to get the best life, you know, Energizer and Duracell. Meanwhile, grandma, my, uh, yeah, yeah, my Game Boy batteries are dead. Can I have some batteries? Okay, look at my desk. I think we got something there. Uh, oh boy. Let's see what we got here. Slightly dead, drained, and... Oh, look! I think I found some batteries that may have... That may not have been in your remote control for the last 20 years. Oh, goody. <laughs> Was the Game Gear... Did that also have, like, a, a, a plug that you could plug it into the wall? Yes. Uh, I thought so. So that's always a sign that the battery life is shit. Yep. But the, uh... The Game Boy had a plug as well. Not mine. Mine did. Maybe it did. Yep, it did. Maybe it did. I never used it. Me neither. No, oh, I forgot about that. Yep, the Game Boy did as well, but it had a decent battery life for its time. If you got good batteries. But if you got cheap batteries, they were exactly that. Cheap batteries. Mm-hmm. I always bought cheap batteries. I didn't know anything about uh, ecology or anything back then, so I figured... The cheap batteries last like three quarters as long as the expensive batteries, so I'd rather buy the cheap. The cheap batteries were more powerful, less money. Mm -hmm. I know you. I know your dad loves his his fancy brand name batteries. Now I try not to buy batteries for anything, unless they're recycle reusables. Not even. Yeah. We don't really have anything that needs batteries. So. Look at this list of Super Nintendo games ahead of us, man. Well, that's because you went through last night. Like, how many games can I list? I, I asked you, are you sure you want to do that? Well, that's because that's actually how many Super Nintendo games I did play. Tell you what, why don't you tell our listeners about your short list of Super Nintendo games, all of which I have played too, except for one of them. And then I'm just going to read my list of games, of names, and that will then we'll call it a day. Okay, yeah, since I actually have stories surrounding this, it's not just me pulling shit off shelves. Okay, and I've already <laughs> talked about a couple of these on previous episodes, so you go ahead. Let's see. So, let's, what, did, what, what did mine come with? Oh, yeah, Super Mario World. I think that was the standard. Mm -hmm. Such a great game. Oh, yeah. I Still my favorite Mario game. Yeah, I remember keeping the same save game for years trying to finish it. Mm. I did finish. Did you never finish it? 
I got pretty far. I just didn't get past the. Uh, I just. It took me years to get there because. Hmm. Meanwhile, I had because I had several games to play at the same time. Sure. Well, that's interesting that you got further than I did in the original Super Mario Brothers, but I got further than you in Super Mario World. Yeah. I guess it's because I like Super Mario World a lot more than the original Super Mario Brothers. Mm -hmm. Then Super Mario All Stars. This is when I really started uh, trying. This is when I really got to play the second Super Mario Brothers, which I never did. Oh, the Japanese one, you mean? No, not no. The actual, the North American one oh. and the Japanese ones. Mm. Lost levels. I got to eight bar, and I couldn't get past this one retarded jump at the very beginning, where you have to uh, somehow manage to jump across the lava, but the but the ceiling is so low you can't get a good angle. Oh, I remember you showing that to me, and then when we watched uh, during Summer Games Done Quick, we saw somebody doing a speed run, yeah. and I saw him do it effortlessly. Yeah. And he died a few times on that level, but he did that one jump perfectly every time. Mm -hmm. There's a trick to it. Yeah, there is a trick to it. But yeah, that was one of the games that uh, my dad got me, along with Kirby All-Stars. Yeah, I'd never heard of this game until I played it at your apartment. Yeah, this was cool because it had a bunch of the Kirby games, a bunch of Kirby games into one cartridge. So it had some mini games and big Kirby games, including Dreamland. Oh, it was, it was like a unique version of yeah. Kirby uh, Kirby Adventure in that one. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as good as other ones, I thought. No, it wasn't as good, but, but the was, graphics are amazing. It and amazing. it had so many mini games and stuff on there. Oh, I love the mini games. There was one that we just sit there. It was the most mindless crap, and it was who can make the Earth split more? Yeah, the planet cracking game. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. And of course, I uh, played. I had Mortal Kombat for Super Nintendo, not the, but not Genesis. Oh, the infamous Mortal Kombat one. This was the game that uh, caused Nintendo to lose tons of sales because of their no violence policy. Mm -hmm. Did you play Mortal Kombat in the arcade ever? No, I didn't. I only played it on. Well, me playing in arcade. Right. My dad never went to malls, and my mother never what? gave me money to go on, on an arcade machine. Ah, uh, so. And by the time I was old enough to go. By the time I was old enough to have my own money, I didn't want to go shopping with my mother, so... Right. Oh, well, so... And I blew all my money on books anyways. <laughs> sure. So Mortal Kombat 1 was an amazingly violent game. Mm -hmm. And it's the reason why we have game ratings now, basically. Because, uh... Because of Captain Kangaroo <laughs> taking... Uh, going going to court, uh, basically. Or being a, either being a witness or being the one who sued everyone. I don't remember which. Oh, Jack Thompson? Uh, I guess, yeah, I think he was the lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is when the industry decided to self-regulate and uh, create the ESRB ratings in North America. But yeah, Mortal Kombat 1 had no blood on Super Nintendo. Yeah. Instead, it had sweat. You would punch the sweat off of people. <laughs> and although you could kill people, it was like the stupidest, crappiest uh, alternatives to the otherwise gory and amazing fatalities. Friendship. No, that was Mortal oh, Kombat 2. Oh, that was 2, okay. Mortal but Kombat 1... It would have, well, Mortal Kombat 1, in the arcade, Sub-Zero's fatality was that you would grab a guy, like, under his chin, pull his head off, blood would gush everywhere, and his spinal cord would dangle down. Mm -hmm. And in the Super Nintendo 1, you would, like, freeze him and then punch him into ice cubes. Yeah. The only ones that were the same 
where for the Scorpion and Sonya, where you light them on fire and only the skeleton is left, because there's no blood, it was just a skeleton. Yeah, and you could still knock them into the pit, but there was no blood. Yeah, you would knock them into the pit. The whole point of the pit in the arcade is you punch someone off of this narrow thing, and they land on spikes and get impaled. It's a pit full of spikes. And it's blood Nintendo, everywhere. But it's, I know, and, it, and there were skulls and corpses everywhere. Mm -hmm. Super Nintendo, you punch them into the pit full of spikes, and they always miss the spikes every time. Yeah. What a cock tease. I did play Mortal Kombat 2. I rented it. That one had blood on Super Nintendo. Yeah. Because they lost so many sales to Genesis for Mortal Kombat 1. Because Mortal Kombat 1 had no blood on the Genesis version unless you put in a code, which everybody knew. And that enabled full blood. Mm -hmm. And I also played uh, that at a friend's house who would enter the Konami code. In Mortal Kombat? Yeah. That's not a Konami game. That's oh, no, a, which one would they... That's I, an acclaimed game. Okay. Is there a code in Mortal which... Kombat? There were some codes in Mortal Kombat, too, that allowed you to do, like, no throwing and stuff like that. And... Yeah, okay. I'm not... Okay, it wasn't a Konami, but it was... My friend would always do these for Mortal Kombat 1 and 2. She knew all the uh, codes. Mm-hmm. And the same friend, oh, yes! I just can't believe I didn't remember to put this on the list until now. The Ranma one-half fighting game. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love that game. Played Street it so Fighter, many times with my best friend. Street I didn't Fighter own it. style game with the Ranma characters? Yeah. I played it so many times. I thought it was fun. <laughs> of course, um, when I tried to show Brian this game, he just didn't like it. Didn't dig it. And it's yet another Street Fighter clone. And I, I've never been into the Ranma cartoon that much, despite cosplaying as <laughs> one of the characters. And then being horrified when the voice actor recognized my character better than I did. <laughs> Drag him to a convention. What do you expect? Yeah. Yeah, so let's see. That's about it on Is that this it? list. Did I miss anything? That's the whole list. Well, I did play Mario Kart on there, but. Okay. Well, tell you what. And I did. I should say I rented it. Okay. I rented it before I bought it. Mm -hmm. All right. Now it's your turn to. Yeah, uh... I'm, I'm sick of your voice. You're sick of my voice. Here's what we're going to do I have a list of like 50 or so. 40 or so Super Nintendo games. I'm just going to read the names of them, and then we're going to call it a day, because we're almost at the three-hour mark here. Okay. Okay, here's the list of Super Nintendo games that I either own or have rented. Oh, boy. And they're in alphabetical order, too. Act Razor, Arrow Fighters, Arrow Biz, Axelay, Batman Returns, Bust a Move, Clay Fighter, Contra 3, Cool Spot, Donkey Kong Country, Earthworm Jim, Final Fight, Final Fight Guy. Yes, those are two different... Those are the same games, but uh, but uh, they could only fit two of the three playable protagonists in a cartridge. Uh. So they may released another one where they replaced the second guy with the third guy. Anyway, Fatal Fury, F-Zero, Illusion of Gaia, Joe and Mac, Killer Instinct, Knights of the Round, Zelda 3, A Link to the Past, Lost Vikings, Magic Sword, Mario Paint, NBA Jam, NCAA Basketball, that's one of the free ones I got from Nintendo Power. NHL 94, Ninja Warriors, Out of This World, Pilot Wings, Pit Fighter, Roadrunner, SimCity, Simpsons, Bart's Nightmare, Spider-Man and the X-Men in Arcade's Revenge, Star Fox, Street Fighter 2, Sunset Riders, Super Mario Kart, Super Mario RPG, Super Smash TV, Super Street Fighter 2, uh, Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time, Ninja Turtles Tournament, Tournament Fighter, The Tick, UN Squadron, Virtual Bart, Wing Commander, Wolfenstein 3D, the infamous version for Super Nintendo where Nintendo changed all the attack dogs to giant rats and pissed off id and had no Nazis or blood. World Heroes, Excalibur, 
And I also owned some unmarked white label volleyball game, which was like a beta and never eventually released. It's a rare game. And I own the Super Scope, which is like this big shoulder-mounted bazooka thing for light gun games on the Super Nintendo, which is absolutely amazing. And it's a great-looking peripheral. <sighs> Shit. I am so sick of my voice. Yep. Do we have anything more to say about this very voluminous and tedious topic? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, good. I was just looking through one more time, and I uh, just wanted to uh, make sure that the, I added in the proper name for the Ranma One Half game that I mentioned, which is Ranma One Half Heart Battle. But like I said, it was Street Fighter, except uh, it can't, you actually had weapons in this game. Mm. And if you played as, uh, if you're anyone familiar with Ranma, you know uh, that it is the anime does have martial arts fighting in it to begin with. So one of the main characters, Moose, yes, Moose, Moose, has huge long sleeves, wears traditional Japanese uh, garments, and so in the game he can shoot these weapons out from his ginormous sleeves. One of my those my friend, one of the characters my friend used to play against me frequently, and would frequently kick my ass when she used uh, Moose. Hmm. And aside from that, let's see, I can't think of anything else. Do you want to give us a list of the consoles that you have owned that haven't been mentioned on this list yet? Did you own any more? Hmm. Or was that just after you met me? This is just after I met you. Okay, let me see if... Oh, go ahead. Because I know that we jointly we own GameCube, the Wii, uh, PS2. We both had a DS. Yeah. The, the, not the original DS, but the... What was our version called? I had a cherry red version. I think I had an early DS. Yeah, but well, there was a big, ugly gray version of the DS that yeah. was all angular and horrible and humongous. Yeah. Then there was a re-release of the DS, and that's the one that we own. Yeah, which... I don't remember. Oh, DS Lite? DS yeah. Plus? Oh, and I also owned a DS XL, which is the extra large one. I For love your that extra large meaty paws. <laughs> oh, it hurts my hand, though. And then uh, we have we keep we put the three the three DS, which I, and I we see these always played with it, but just have never bought it. Yeah, the only reason we'd buy a three DS would be for the uh, Phoenix Wright. Oh, Animal Crossing and Phoenix Wright. Yeah. Oh, and I have a Dreamcast. Oh yeah, Channel Five. Space Channel Five. Choo mm-hmm. choo. Mm-hmm. Up down. Up down left right. Choo choo choo. yeah. We'll cover that stuff some other day. Yeah. Oh, sure we can. Okay. Ugh. That was a long episode. It felt like You're a the long one who decided to list all of the I'm games. sorry. I listed way too many games. <laughs> way too many. I was a... Although I was an avid console player, I was always, first and foremost, a PC player. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy the consoles for their library of games. Um... I read magazines about them, and I would play them with my friends, but I, all my friends were pretty much into PC gaming as well. That was always always my first and foremost. PC always had better graphics, better performance, better variety of games, and better controls, and more complicated games, which which used keyboard instead of just a few buttons. Yeah. I always chose PC over console, but I owned and played a lot of console games. They were fun. Not so much anymore. The last console we bought was the Wii. Yeah. And we didn't play it, and now we don't have a TV, but we have a bunch of consoles and nothing to plug them into. <laughs> so that's probably that. I don't really plan on ever owning a console ever again, because PC is too good. Well, maybe handheld. Maybe handheld. Mm-hmm. Maybe a 3DS. I don't know. Maybe not. 
All right. Uh, shit. I'm, you, you people are probably sick of us by now, so let's adjourn. That's... Okay, thank you so much for joining us again, Bianca. I love having you on the show. It's such a pleasure. You're very welcome. Mwah. Ah, no kissing me on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I'll kiss you on something else then. So, oh. if you want to, thanks for listening, guys. If you want to get in touch with us, I'd love to hear your experiences with early consoles. Hopefully, your recollection of those earliest consoles are a hell of a lot better than mine were because total brain fart there. Sorry. No kidding. Ugh, it went a lot worse than I had planned. <laughs> Um, it's been a busy week, and I didn't have time to do proper research. Sorry, guys. Um, 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 um. If you want to reach us on the web, you can do so, squarefm.demodulated.com. Um, please send in voicemails and emails um, to squarefm at demodulated.com. Really love to hear from you. And uh, thanks a million to Trolls for his uh, voicemail this week. And to uh, those of you who sent us corrections, uh, that was Avi, Akago, and uh, Anatoly. And on Twitter, you can reach us at SquareWavesFM. We're also on iTunes and on other things like Stitcher, and I don't even know what else. I think I saw. Some, I think we get a lot of hits from some uh, German, uh, I, uh, German podcast scraping website. A lot of hits from them. More hits from this one scrape website than from any other source. That's what I get for looking at the weblogs. Okay, we love you guys like crazy. Thank you very, very much for tuning in, and looking forward to chatting with you next week. Bye-bye.